Hey there, welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. Oh, it's uh, me, Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Hello, Uncle Will. How are you? I said Uncle Will instead of Uncle Buck. That's because you were pretending to be Justin, who is yeah. not here. Yeah, that's that was that was weird, but we're going to go with it. <laughs> that's, Justin, Sorry. Justin, Justin is, he, he would refer to me as Uncle Will because he he's lost like a little orphan. <laughs> Fievel Goes West yeah. is the, the movie that evokes... Uh, that's evoked by my imagination now, contemplating the whereabouts of this little beautiful lost man, Justin. We can't even see the moon, let alone know if we're looking at the same one that he's looking at. Yeah, I definitely can't see the moon. I need new glasses. I it's in the base. Can't read the thanks list of my death metal albums anymore. It's getting bad. I got to go to the, the eye doctor. 4K demos. Yeah, come on, boys. Yeah, Warcraft 4K. All right, listen. Uh, yeah, Justin can't be here. He's doing a lot of work. Um, I think he may have been grasped by the ankle, as in the uh, cinematic masterpiece Chud, and brought down to a subterranean doom. Yeah, the freelance doom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's there, but we miss him, and uh, we'll see him soon, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm going to hire a private detective to go look for him. It's uh, it's going to be like Adam, but dressed like uh, a Kojak, like a nice 70s suit, oh, that pinky sick. ring. But it's going to be Adam Rotello, just the gore grind detective. You think that uh, Adam owns any Chelsea boots? I don't. If uh, I think if you conked Adam and me and you conked our heads together like coconuts for 20 minutes straight, neither of us would be able to even come up with a guess as to what Chelsea boots are. Oh, they're just a very fashionable 70s looking shoe. Okay, I, I actually own a pair. Oh, and they're fun. Good on you're uh, a, a man of the more taller, thin variety. I feel like you could pull that off. Whereas me, it would have like a Homer Simpson trying on the high heels or Bart Simpson trying on the high heels. Uh, and remember that episode? Uh, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't think so. I think there's you, certain things. Dude, them there's, well. I'm here. I'm debating cutting my hair. And shout out to all the large guys with long hair. Just me personally. I feel like, I feel like there's just certain things big guys, you know, we got to keep a, a, a tight, tight haircut sometimes. You know, there's certain things that you, you, the skinnier guys can pull off. We can't, man. There's a yeah. reason why uh, Molly Crew and Guns N' Roses, there wasn't like a big fat, you know, meatloaf represented. But, you know, there wasn't, was there a big fat glam guy? I'd love to know. That's a really great, great, great <laughs> question. Glam great. Uh, like a biggie of glam? Was- there had to have been one or two out there. All right. Well, listeners can call up and let us. Uh, but but yeah. I, I, look, I'm a big guy. I keep it covered up. Right. I buy the death metal T-shirts. I get the sweatpants. I know. I I know my lane. Yeah. All right. I'm not taking you know, care of yourself. Yeah. I'm not like trying to wear skinny jeans and like hit on uh, uh, teenagers and stuff. Like there's people out there doing wild stuff, man. Sometimes you got to accept that yeah. you're approaching middle age. Your hair is thinning. And you still devote an inordinate amount of time to underground death metal. Yeah, you got to pick one. You yeah. can't just do all of those. Yeah, you're right. Stay in I your lane. You. Stay in your you. lane. Um, a guy who has stayed in the underground death metal and extreme music lane for many years now. You may know him from his work in various underground extreme music bands. Phobia, Impaled, Exhumed. The list goes on. Nowadays, you can catch him prepping his brand new project, Lightbreaker. I'm talking about none other than the very busy and esteemed gentleman, Leon Del Muerte. Tom, could you give that gentleman a ring a ding, please? You got it. And now I want ring dings. Yeah, 
Okay, this is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with my special guest, Leon Del Muerte. How you doing, Leon? Good, man. How you doing? I'm great, man. Thanks for asking. And, you know, I, I didn't give you a big whole spiel intro there because there's a lot to get into. Uh, and our listeners are probably familiar with at least one band you've been in through the years. Um, and we're going to get into it, man. But before we do all that, you know that we always start at the beginning. And I have to credit quickly before we get into anything. Um, it was uh, Wheel Must podcast, a German podcast that you did a while back. Swedish, but yeah. Sweet. I, I apologize. Swedish. Wheel Must <laughs> podcast. I'm from New York. I can't recognize anybody's accent. Um, <laughs> but but uh, uh, I got to credit them for research because I uh, you know I wouldn't want you to have have to repeat the same story that you gave them. And I know a lot about um, the fact that you are in fact from a, a pretty musical family, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. My mom plays. My brother plays. My my father kind of plays. He's not like an active musician really, but he he does play guitar and harmonica. My mom played guitar. Uh, my brother plays guitar. He's he's active and out there touring or trying to get back to touring right now. Uh, my sister even plays. Like she plays, you know, in a, like a church group or something, and uh, she plays on her house. She she she's. It's weird because she's the one who plays the least, but she's probably got the most like kind of natural talent out of the three of us. Like she can just pick up. I remember she, once she just picked up a guitar and just started playing this little Portishead riff, and I was just like, "The fuck, man!" Like I wouldn't have figured it out, you know. Totally, I was just like, "How did like okay?" Like you know, she barely knew how to press down the strings, but she just figured it out right there. And I was like, "Wow!" So yeah, yeah, everybody in the family plays pretty much. Okay, that's interesting, man. And what like what kind of music? Like, I mean, you've obviously picked a very specific uh, pocket of, of uh, music to perform and, and write. Um, yeah. Have any of your other family members picked something that you could kind of box them in a little bit genre-wise? Yeah, my, so my brother, uh, he's probably the, the, the other most well-known player in the family. He, he plays, uh, we started out playing like Delta Blues and Bluegrass, and now he kind of plays like a, his own kind of bastardized Americana version of of, of that so it's like uh you know his, his he's my brother's kind of a weird guy and he makes kind of weird music so, <laughs> so, awesome. yeah, but yeah I, I would i would i guess if i had to generalize it i'd call it americana okay well that that the way you say that about your brother gives me a question in mind would you say that you're kind of like you know just like a lot of us being the metalhead kind of guy in the family maybe you're like a, a black sheep quote unquote of the family or would you say that your whole family is a little bit nonconformist? Uh, yeah, my family was very different from mother. Like, uh, my my parents were were super political when I was a kid. So they they were you know into they were both uh, they worked for socialist action. They were both you know socialists from like from way back. And they, we moved to California from Detroit uh, so they could work at a bigger socialist action uh, office. And uh, I, I don't think that they're you know as intensely political as they were before but um but yeah so that yeah there was they were kind of all nonconformists in their own way like my mom was you know kind of she was born in wyoming on the side of a coal mine in 45 you know and her, her dad built warships for the second world war and stuff and they moved to san diego and he worked at the naval shipyard there and uh he was a you know a coal miner and a cowboy before that um a lot of a lot of weird rebels. I have I have like some distant uncle 
uh, Floyd Sr. and Floyd Jr. and Floyd Jr. killed Floyd Sr. in a pool game in a fucking, like, you know, some bar in the middle of nowhere, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, just a lot of fucking wingnuts uh, in the family, wow. for sure. Real so I might, be, I might be the most fucking, you know, chill of the bunch, uh, honestly. Like, uh, you know, just, uh, I'm, I'm musically, maybe I'm, I'm the, the biggest goofball, but, but, uh, <laughs> everything else <laughs> like maybe not you know wow wow that's a lot that's a lot right there i got more than i bargained for no. with that one that's that's wild that's like some real old clint, clint so eastwood weird. wild west stuff man that's crazy yeah, straight up, man it's I, I got a weird family history and i I, don't, I mean i barely know any of it like I, mm. you know my, my my mom had uh alzheimer's but every now and again she would she would be kind of lucid and i would try to get some of the stories out of her when i when i was old enough to appreciate it you know and and uh so, you know, every now and again, she, you know, she would have, she would just tell me, like, the weirdest shit that happened to my family. Like, I'm kind of struggling to come up with something that it's even decent to say on the fucking radio. But, <laughs> you know, uh, like, yeah, I was just, you know, I, I really wish I had mined her for stories more back then. Like, I, 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 I there's, there's some, some lost gold out there for sure. There, there is actually, like, a book of her side of the family, the Putnams, um, and, like, our great 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 whatever grandpa was uh israel putnam he came over on the like you know he's like one of the first he was the first general under george washington he's like a distant relative of mine um you know they they're, they're english blue bloods whatever the fuck uh you know the, there's there's a lot of history on that on my mom's side of the family uh my father's side of the family they're all actually all from new york uh huh. They're all, you know, they're, my father's side of the family are all New York Jews. Like, we, we they kind of emigrated west, um, you know, in the, probably like in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Kind of, I think they all, I don't think they all kind of came at the same time, but they, they all sort of, you know, event, uh, most of them ended up in, in like Santa Cruz and around that area, like, you know, the lower Bay Area, I guess. Um, yeah, I have totally forgot what your original question was. <laughs> well, we were talking about, I asked if you were the black sheep of your family or if the whole oh, family yeah. was nonconformist, and you brought me back like three generations, man. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah. that might have been a little much. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, as, musically maybe, um, you know, there's, I don't have any relatives, I don't think, that are really into me. I mean, my brother got me my first Black Sabbath record and got me into Motorhead and Maiden when I was a kid. Um, but I, I'm not sure how much he was into that or if he was just sort of into the kind of, he was like a punk in 77. So, you know, he was, uh, my brother's nine years older than me. So he's in his mid fifties now. And, uh, you know, he, he was, uh, he, I mean, I guess he was into heavy music. Like he was into the heaviest thing they had going back then. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe that, you know, I got some of that from, from him too. Like he definitely introduced me to, to, you know, I, he gave me that first Black Sabbath record, and not not just my first, but the first Black Sabbath record. I'm sure if I still had that thing somewhere, it'd be worth a billion dollars. Mm. But um, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah, just he was. He gave me, got me into like all kinds of weird stuff. One of my first records too is this band Ultravox from from the UK. They were, I think they're from the UK anyway. They're just like weird, kind of fucking sort of proto punk mod music i guess I, I don't really know but uh anyway yeah yeah i think i think my brother my brother was into heavy stuff back in the 70s and maybe even a bit of the 80s but you know he kind of he lived he grew up most of his 
he's my half brother, so he, he had a different dad. So he grew up mostly in Chicago, and he was part of the blues scene in Chicago, and that's kind of where he, uh, you know, gravitated. Okay, wow. Um, a lot going on there. So, so we talk about Motorhead and Iron Maiden when you're younger. And I know from the Wheel Must podcast interview that you you said that you started playing guitar the second day you lived in California after having moved there from Detroit. Yeah, yeah, it was the day after we got to California. Um, I can't remember if I if I got too into depth uh, with um, uh, with uh, Ellis, uh, the Wheel Must guy, but um, it was yeah. The I I went in. It was the middle of the school year, so I went to the music class. And, uh, you know, when, and it was Miss Whitney was my music teacher. She was like, you know, she's like, what do you what do you play? And I was like, oh, I want to play drums. And she was like, OK. And I sat down at the kit and, she, and I kind of was like fumbling around. And she's like, do you know how to play drums? And I was like, nah. And she was like, OK, go sit with the guitar players. <laughs> and that's basically how it panned out. You know? So, so I, well, so when do you get your own guitar that you that you, you know, take home and that sort of thing? So, you know, we had guitars all over the place because my mom played and my brother played. If, yeah, if, if my, yeah. I, I can't remember, my brother wasn't in, in California with us immediately. He came a little later. But, um, but yeah, you know, I had my mom's guitar. It was like a, you know, it was probably like a $50 fucking dime shop, you know, Navarre cat gut string piece of shit. And uh, I had that thing for a long time. You know, what? I think once I started kind of getting... Um, serious about it. a couple months later, my brother showed up and he bought me my first electric guitar, which was also like some dime store piece of shit. <laughs> Actually, he tells me it was that he got it from a pawn shop, but I feel like somewhere in there later on he told me that he stole it from somebody. So um, I, I, I'm not sure which on that one, but uh, definitely we had some stolen guitars there. <laughs> but uh, so the first electric I had was like some no name. 60s fucking kung fu guitar that was it was super wacky shape like i don't i don't know what you would call it at all but uh it, it came with a k amp and then you know I'd, at some point i'd saved up birthday money or whatever else i got like a i went to go get an ibanez but they didn't have once so i got a jackson and you know then i had like pretty much metal guitars from then on but uh and yeah i actually had like an old uh, hand-me-down gibson marauder which is like this weird les paul type thing that um, that uh, it's, it's really ugly. It's one of the ugliest fucking guitars uh-huh. ever. But it, was, it, was, it was a sick guitar. I wish I still had it. But, uh, but yeah, so yeah, I, I mean, that's I, I got a lot of hand-me-downs in the early days. But it, and it took a few years before my parents realized I was kind of serious about it before I think they were like, okay, let's go get you an electric guitar. I mean, I probably saved up some money. I think they probably matched what I'd saved up. It was still probably like, you know, a $300 guitar or something. But, I mean, that's a lot better than what a lot of people start out on at playing like you know been playing for like two years or whatever yeah so, yeah sure yeah. so all right so something that you mentioned uh in that other interview was that <clears throat> you have uh, a lot of tablature to say the least some dating back um 20 plus years of material that you've written yeah <laughs> yeah it's because i'm i'm so forgetful um <laughs> and it, well, it's, I mean, I feel like a, like a lot of guitar players are like that. Like, you get up in the morning before you've had coffee, you just kind of grab your guitar, and you fucking, like, splat your fingers on the fretboard, and you write something that's kind of interesting, and then 20 minutes later, you forget about it. And with me, like, I just started writing it down every single time. Like, anything that's, like, I mean, I have so much, I have mountains of garbage, too, <laughs> but, like, 
you know, I, I keep everything because I'm just like, you know, I squirrel it away. Like, you know, these are like little, you know, two kilobyte files or whatever. So it's like, you know, it's not taking up any space on my hard drive, but it's like, you know, just, I was like, I feel like I'm not a hoarder or anything, but maybe with data, I am a little bit like I've, I've got files going back like 20 plus years and stuff too. And I feel like, oh, I'm going to dig this up one day and be like, that's exactly the riff I need for this part that I can't figure out right now or something like that, you know, well, that, maybe probably never happened, but well, that's what I wanted to ask you is looking at your, um, your metal archives uh, file and looking back at your discography with all the different bands you've been in and the kind of variety of sounds um, you've you've been through. Like, has that come into play over the year where it's made it easier to be in so many bands because you you have like a, a you know a database of, of riffs and stuff from the past that you've kept? Because like you said, not everybody does that, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've and I've like co-opted riffs from from other bands. Like, I I remember I wrote. A, almost an entire song for Intronaut that we didn't uh, that we didn't end up recording for Intronaut, but the song I was like, wow, if I just change the phrasing a little bit and put some blast beats on it, this is a fucking Murder Construct song. Uh, so that it, it was on like the first Murder Construct EP. Uh, there was a there was a song that's called uh, Destroy. Ba- it was it used to be called Destroy Babylon, and it has another name on the record. I forgot what it was. Um, but it's that one was totally like almost the first like two minutes of it was all an internaut song before that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've definitely like gone, gone through the archives and found some hidden gold in there, but man, there's a mountain of shit in there that just sucks. Huh. So, <laughs> well, spe- well, speaking of the tablets, I mean, you talked about, um, go, you know, in school being part of the, uh, uh the music program in school early on, uh, now, being able to read tablature and having that background, is that at least part of the reason why we've seen you show up over the years um, as like a live musician in so many other bands or as a musician who kind of comes in, um, at, at, you know, at a later era in a, in a band's career like Terrorizer or Nausea or somebody? Has that made it easier, the tablature? Um, not so much. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people don't obsessively tab like that. And, I'm, and for bands like, ter- like really old school bands like Terrorizer, uh, Terrorizer LA, I should say, and Nausea, yeah. like, you know, Oscar just showed me those riffs. Like, we would just stand in a room together and he would just be like, he's like, hey, man, this one goes like this. And dun on 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 And I would just, you know, copy him from there. Uh, but then I might, like, if it's, something that was complicated or or that i was having a hard time remember i would probably take it home and tab it out i probably have tabbed out rips for for terrorizer and and uh and and nausea and stuff just because i was like man i'm not going to remember this one part or something like that but but yeah i don't know if it's if it's it certainly hasn't hindered my progress at all but i mean i feel you know i'm i seem to have a knack for working with really low-tech people who you know they their best means of conveying their music to me is by showing me how to play their riff or just like you know they'll send me a like with the nail stuff like uh you know he would just send me videos of him playing the riff slow and then and then at speed and then okay all right got that one got that one got that one you know and they just knock it out that way sure um sure um, there's a lot of, a lot of different ways to go about it um I, I was I just interested me because it seemed like you know going back you had a lot uh, of, of tabs there and you and you kind of talked about that in detail in the other interview um, but as we move forward I know you talked about 
uh, joining the band Infanticide um, early on once you had moved to L.A., right? And and that ends up, you end up recording uh, the 1993 demo with them and then parting ways with the band, right? Yeah, so actually, Infanticide was a Bay Area band. Um, that was so I, I first moved from Detroit to the Bay Area, and okay. so Infanticide, Infanticide was my first band. I was like 14 when I joined Infanticide. Um, it, was, it was actually so I there was another band before that called Heresy, but obviously there was a much bigger Heresy already out there. Um, so we called ourselves Heresy RC, Heresy Richmond, California, um, and I was. That band was a thing for maybe like a month, and I'd come to jam with them. And the drummer was like, "This guitar player is a fucking dipshit. I don't want to do this anymore with him. Let's start a new band." From my recollection, he might have it slightly different than me, but um, and then we started. So me and some guys from school, like I used to have this Headbangers ball jacket. I was a little, little ass, fourteen-year-old, like you know, five feet tall, fourteen-year-old. And uh, I had this enormous, oversized headbangers ball jacket that was like practically a trench coat on me. And uh, like I had this friend of mine there at school, just like every time he'd walk by me, just like headbanger. And then so eventually we got to talking, and like you know we started, we like we were both into death metal, and that was kind of you know this would have been like '92, '93, so it was kind of hard to find people that were into death metal back then. It was still kind of a new thing, a little bit, um, and. So, you know, we were both, and we were into, you know, I mean, we were kind of more, I guess we're probably more into, like, at that time, we're probably not even really into death metal yet. We are probably into, like, Metallica and Megadeth and stuff. But as we were jamming and the time started stretching on, we started getting into, like, you know, Cannibal Corpse. And those guys didn't like any of the European bands. They always thought that all the European bands that I love so much were just totally lame. And they were only into, like, the Floridians and, you know, Deicide and, uh, they didn't even really like Cannibal when they first heard Cannibal. I remember they came back from a Cannibal show. Cannibal was like not even the headliner. They were like one of the openers. They're like, oh, that shit was just a bunch of noise. Like they didn't they didn't like it at all. That was like that first Cannibal record, which I think is just like the best piece of American death metal ever. It's wow. fucking perfect. For me, but wow. uh, that might be that might be a a, a crazy ass thing to say. But I, I almost no, I, I, res- right by. I respect <laughs> it. I res- it makes me want to go back and re-listen to it in that context. Oh, I, I, so I respect good. it. I respect it. They're just playing like at the very edge of their ability, just like barely holding it together. It's it's like it's not sloppy, but it's just it's like so barely res- like constrained. Like they're just barely able to play at that tempo, and it's like you can hear that. Like you know, like, you could see this guy sweating it out, staring at his fretboard. You know, trying to make this riff happen because it's so fucking hard to play or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I love that shit. But uh, but yeah, so you know, we were getting into all that stuff. And yeah, Fantasize, we had a de- we had um, we had a demo that we were so stupid. Like, we, so we had befriended Exhumed at that point, and they were like, "You guys should go record with this guy Bart Thurber," and he recorded all the Exhumed demos and stuff. And um, so we went to Bart's place called Gorilla Euphonics in Oakland. And uh, we recorded with Bart, and man, we had no fucking clue. We didn't even know how to tune. Like we just we open tuned to each other. Like bing bong, bing bong. Hey, can you hit a bing bong? You know, like it's so embarrassing. I mean, because that went on for me too. Like I didn't get my first tuner until probably like ninety eight or ninety nine, maybe two thousand even. Ugh. But <laughs> um, yeah, we like we went in there. We tried to play through our songs and rush through them it was really bad and sloppy but anyway we we shit out this demo 
called Fetal Remains. And we made copies for the guys in Exhumed and like maybe a couple other friends and that was it. Like it never, we, did, we didn't know what to do with it. Like I was heavily into tape trading and stuff. Um, and so I, I probably sent it to some people. I was maybe tape trading. I was like buying demos more than tape than sending my own out, I guess, because I, I was kind of embarrassed by how bad we were. Um, I mean, maybe. I mean, at that time, I was pretty pretty stoked on. It. I mean, I even played that demo for my mom and her friends and shit, <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, that's so good, Leon. You're so talented," you know. Um, and you know, we got this guy, oh, death baby, blah, blah, blah. Um, and fucking, I don't know. We we just never really got it out there. Uh, I've, I mean, over the years, I posted it a few times on like Facebook and whatever, uh, just to just pure nostalgia value, I think, but. Um, but uh, yeah, like so we had that that demo, and then um, ah, man, I can't remember what happened. Like at some point, I think at some point. So my sort of recollection, I think this is accurate, is that uh, Exhumed had this guy Daryl Hadashell playing guitar for them, and uh, Daryl had started dating a girl and. Um, like, so he basically kind of dropped out of the band when that happened. And, uh, he, I had filled in for him at a show. Like I went to LA, I was like, you know, like 17 years old or something. And I went to, with Exhumed to LA and, and filled in for that guy. And then we got back and a couple days later, I was hanging out at Ross's parents' house and, um, you know, Daryl was telling him he couldn't make another show and so you know these i hear these guys calling each other on their you know <laughs> their old landlines and shit and like they're you know arguing and stuff and then ross is like matt wants to talk to you and i'm like all right and uh he gives me the phone he's just like hey you're in exhumed uh we're kicking daryl out and i was i was just like oh fuck okay cool um so that's like pretty much how i joined exhumed the first time and out and like things in fantasy it just sort of fizzled out uh, I at some point around there, I graduated from high school like when I was 17, kind of kind of early. Uh, and right after I graduated, my house burned down, so I got some insurance money. And my dad was just like, "Hey, here's money, get the fuck out." Huh. Uh, so I moved to, to San Jose, and I moved in with uh, Marissa Martinez of Preton fame. Um, and uh, yeah, that's and then I joined Exhum briefly. Like that, that only lasted for like a couple of years. The first time I mean, I've been in Exhum, like shit, I don't know, like uh, <laughs> three or four times over the years, I guess. Well, you, um, you said I, 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 I could quote you saying about, about six years altogether spread out over twenty years. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> but, yeah, that's crazy, man. <laughs> well, where where does um, the venue Gilman Street come in? Where, where do you start attending shows there? Oh, so the Gilman is like, it's kind of, the Gilman was sort of like. It's the, the Gilman, CBGB. right? Okay. Yeah. The, I mean, it's really called like the Gilman, Gilman Street, 924 Gilman, any any of those people okay. know what you're talking um, That It was sort of like CBGB's, but without a bar. Like it was a really dumpy, spray painted on, stickered up shithole that smelled bad. And it, that had shows. It was like a, um, a co-op sort of. So like. You had to get a. It's kind of funny. You had to get like your. You literally had to get your punk card to be a, like to go there. You had to to have a membership to Gilman Street, and uh, 
But if you were a member, you could come in and help them decide like what bands to book. And like, it was totally open to all members. Like anybody could come in and sit. But anyway, um, so Gilman, I, man, I went to like a show at the Gilman. I started going to shows at the Gilman when I was still in high school. So, you know, like 15, 16, 17. Uh, I mean, and through the whole time that I lived in the Bay Area until I moved to LA. Um, just that, so that's between 92. Well, I started going to the Gilman probably around like, you know, 94. And then I left the wow. Bay Area in 2004. That's, so, that's yeah. awesome, man. I, I've always kind of like um, <clears throat> uh, romanticized it, I guess you might say, in my head. Because I'm a little bit younger and I'm from out here in New York. But I, I, I see Gilman all the time in these old Slap of Ham Records power violence releases like you know show flyers and live tracks recorded there and all that it's always popping up as particularly in that 90s power violence scene were you part of some of those shows yeah man i've seen spaz and you know uh neurosis and fucking um dystopia and i mean and also like bands like like well the aborted who later became abscess and autopsy and um Fuck, man, like Immortal... Did I see Immortal Fate there? Like, you know, all those, like, Redwood City bands I'd probably seen at the Gilman. I wasn't, like, one of those dudes that just went every night no matter what was playing, but uh, I was there often enough. It was it was also kind of weird in the 90s, too, because, you know, there was, like, this sort of... You know, it was, like, you know, this kind of punks versus Heshers a little bit, too. Like, I remember getting spit on there, like, often. Like, I would go there and, you know, a little punk kid with a mohawk and be like get the fuck out of here hesher or whatever you know i'm like this little goofy fucking 17 year old um you know just out of work or whatever like coming to this fucking show getting yelled at by somebody even younger than me um but it was yeah the gilman it was such a weird it's such a weird place like i mean we've there it was like kind of too progressive for its own good maybe is i don't know how to put it like they 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 instituted a rule at some point so as impaled later on like we played benefits for the gilman to keep the doors on that fucking place and then you know later on after that they were like oh you guys can't play here anymore because you're on a label and stuff so (laughs) so it's kind of self-defeating in a weird way but you know, it was just—it was just really the whim of anybody who was a member there, and anybody who went, whoever fucking went there and talked the loudest was like getting their way there, pretty much. Mm. Uh, which I mean, it's not all. I'm, I'm making it maybe sound worse than it is, but I mean that place is—I think it's still open. So, shit, they must be doing something right, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's. It. I just wanted to um, uh, go into that a little bit, man, because it's it's a place that's always been in my imagination. Uh, having seen it on show flyers for so many legendary bands. Yeah, um, for sure. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's like kind of like you know, it was like it was like the legendary shithole you wanted to play, like yeah. like like CBs, you know, like fucking. Yeah. I remember the first time I went to CBs, uh, I w- I went and visited New York in like 2004, and fucking. Uh, I was staying with my aunt who lived in Park Slope, and um, fucking man, she, like it was. I was talking to my friend Jake Gordon, and he was just like, there's, "He's like, there's a there's, there's a show at CB's. I'm not going, but you should go. It's Disassociate." And uh, so uh, I was like, "Fuck it out." Once I Disassociate at CBGB's in front of like you know ten other people, and fucking uh, you know, I was, I was when I got to CB's, I was like, "Holy shit, this place is fucking worse than the Gilman!" Like, oh my god, it's disgusting. And, uh, you know, I, I had, in my mind, it was a totally different place, probably like how you think about the Gilman, you know, it was like, 
I thought Seabees was going to be this, like, fucking, you know, royal fucking hall of, you know, punk and metal bullshit or whatever. And it was just a dump, you know, <laughs> like so, an amazing, like, incredible history dump, but a dump nonetheless. Uh, it's it's sometimes it shows that uh, you know a lot of these these reputations have more to do with the the, the particular era and the specific people and bands. Um, right, you know, right. when, you know, when, you know, once it moves on a lot, a lot of time when when it gets out to the general public and to you and me that it's such a cool place it, that that, that era's kind of already moved on. You know, <laughs> right? We'd already. I mean, same with like ABC No Rio. I remember going there mm-hmm. and like when we played there, there was like literally holes in the floor to the level below like if i had stepped forward two feet i would have fallen to my death you know so. <laughs> it, it had some it had some some structural issues going on at one point I, yeah, yeah but uh but yeah shout out to them but but <clears throat> well i want to get into something I, mean, I think i got something maybe a little crossed here did i hear you say in the in another interview that Members of Infanticide would go on to be an Impaled, but then would not be an Impaled by the time you joined Impaled? So, remember, so, yeah, it is kind of weird. So, after I was already out of Infanticide, um, the guitar player, the guy who used to hit me up and call me Headbanger, he, so, we, I had met Sean, I went to try out for Sean's sean mcgrath's band at the time it was called Asseldama or akeldam i can't remember how you pronounce it but um and so i went out and tried out for them they were not good and i didn't really want to join but i just wanted to be in a band but uh but me and sean like kind of hit it off and so we kept in touch um and i I think i put sean in touch with this guy jared who was an infanticide and they started impaled um so it was but I, i wasn't in infanticide or impaled in the beginning uh, they had this guy Jared, and uh, at some point, I came in and just did vocals or something like at a show, or or maybe I had started playing with the band, but they they had two guitar players, so you know they didn't need a, a third one. So I was just doing vocals at the time, and then Jared quit, and you know they they were playing. I don't know if you've ever heard the very first Impaled demo, but it's very different from the rest of the Impaled stuff. It's like it's kind of like proto-technical death metal you know like it's 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 way more technical than than a lot of the kind of later impaled stuff was um but so yeah jared quit and me and so i was like well fuck i'll I'll play i'm gonna play guitar and then we were like fuck these old songs like let's you know let's write the stuff that we like like the you know it's like kind of carcassy napalm deathy europeany dismembery blah 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 shit that we were into you know yeah, 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 man, and and it um, I I remember for the time it kind of fit perfectly with a lot of the, uh, like people people were kind of trying to re-explore early Carcass and Impetigo and like Razorback Records was a was a big deal and I think Impaled was a little bit ahead of that curve. Yeah, I I mean I feel like Razorback made an entire career out of <laughs> signing bands that sounded like Impaled at the time, but <laughs> yeah, they're they're pretty good, you know. And I'm not don't get me wrong. Um, but there, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't never want to take credit for, you know, starting anything. So I don't think I'm, I was definitely following in the carcass dismember European death metal footsteps. Uh, but maybe we were just a little before those bands because we were just a little older or whatever, you know. F- fair enough. I, yeah, I was trying to say what you said uh, a little bit more diplomatically, man. But but there you go. 
Um, <laughs> so, so what actually now? You do you do stints in exhumed. You do stints in impa- in impaled. It's like a little tricky for people to follow, and a lot of people associate you with both bands, rightfully so. Um, but something we had talked about behind the scenes, I I made um, something that's a common misconception, and we can edit this out if you want. But c- could we address the 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 ghoul uh, situation? Yeah. Are, uh, yeah. are are you a member of Ghoul? No, and I never have been, uh, and, and I'm I'm not saying that for kayfabe, that or to preserve kayfabe, and, and I really have never ever had. The most I've done with Ghoul is that they've stayed at my house every time they were in town, uh, and then I I went up on stage once with them, and they told me to. They're like, yeah, hey, go up there and say, you know, say fuck this noise and say like, you know, that you like, like why can't you guys play like, and then just name any stupid metal band. And then the robot's gonna punch you, and I was like, okay. So I get up there, and uh, they're like, I'm like, hey, hey, man, this this shit's garbage, man. Why can't you guys play like sun parentheses parentheses parentheses? And then the robot punched me, and then I dove off the stage. That is that is the most I've done with Ghoul. Like I'm 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 dead serious about that. I've never ha- I've never been in Ghoul. Like I've never have had anything to do with the band, and and like their success to me is fucking amazing like I, I can't believe how big they are um like just just i mean they're not a D, not exactly a diy band but they're not far from it you know so like them and tank crimes are very street level fucking you know uh marketing crew and then it's really like it's really panned out really well for them all right well, so we'll shout to them and i'm glad we cleared that up because that's one that even got by me i was in i was in the the Instagram messages with you, like, oh, by the way, can we talk about Google? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I feel stupid now, but um, uh, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you're like I said, like you were not the first person to ask me, and, and you're not even, I don't, you might not even be the last person to ask me at this point. <laughs> like, it's, I, I get it so often. Like, there was so many people that would hit me up and be like, hey, like, you know. Fucking on the DL, like, can you float me one of those ghoul records? And I'm like, bro, I don't. That's not my band. Like, I can, no, I can't help you there. <laughs> like, I don't even have records that I am on, much less records that I'm not on. Uh, of course, man. So, so <laughs> well, well, something that you are on, um, and maybe we could talk about is like we said, records by Impaled and Exhumed, which which makes up the majority that I could tell of your output in the '90s. Before we get into some of your other bands that you've been into. Um, yeah. Now, joining Exhumed, you, if I'm if I got it right, what'd you join Exhumed in like '96, '97, something like that? Yeah. At that point, they were already a, a pretty seasoned band, right? They were getting there for sure. They they were on um, they were on a small label. Do you know the dude from from Hemdale? I think his name is Craig Rowe. Vis- uh, visceral a, Productions. Visceral. visceral production. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So they were on Visceral. Uh, it was Niall Hemdale Exhumed was on Visceral, and this is I'm, I'm quoting either Ross or Matt about this. Uh, so if I misquote, uh, apologies to them. But I think that it was like Relapse bought the entire Visceral Productions uh, lineup because they wanted Niall, um, and they were kind of like, eh, whatever. If we have to take Exhumed too, we will. Wow. Uh, but it, you know. It turned out, you know, that Exhum has been like their, lo- like maybe one of the longest-standing bands that's still, you know, routinely putting out records and shit on Relapse. 
That's crazy. I I remember the era. I I I remember like getting stuff from Visceral Productions and then the label folding and Relapse did like take all that shit. That's crazy, man. That's cool to know. Yeah, yeah. That's very yeah, yeah. very interesting to know. Yeah, a little underground tidbit there. <laughs> wow. All right. As I understand it, anyway. Okay. Know. Yeah. Fair enough, man. We hope maybe to speak with them one day and get their perspective on all that. But um, that that's cool, man. Uh, uh, yeah, Visceral Productions. One of my gateways into the scene was uh, an old Visceral Productions compilation that they had years ago. But um, yeah. I know you. Yeah, had, had like the dead body washed up on the beach or something on the cover, yeah. and yeah. a couple of exclusives on there, like a couple of bands that you don't really see out. There. But but anyway, moving back to to what you're, um, the reason why I asked about when you joined Exhumed and they were a seasoned band. Was that like the first time you really got your taste of, of playing out, maybe touring a little, um, playing bigger shows? Yeah, for sure. I, so I was in Exhumed first, and then I went to Impaled, and then um, I was working at Necropolis Records, and Matt Harvey was working there, and Raul from Impaled was working there. So all three of us were working there. Um, and Exhumed was going out on a... T- this is two. Th- thousand i think and exhum was going out on a tour so i I had done like some regional stuff with exhum like you know i'd gone down to la um i don't even think we'd gone up here to portland or anything but we'd gone to la and maybe central california or whatever the fuck and uh like we um so anyway i'm working at necropolis at some point i'm back at impaled i'm not even in exhumed anymore um and um Exhumed's going on this tour. It's Exhumed, Hate Eternal Mayhem, and it's 2000. And Sean, I think, was going to fill in the first 10 days of that tour on bass. And then, like, kind of at the very last moment, like, maybe, like, the day before or something like that, he was like, no, I can't go. And so Matt just, like, walks over to my desk, and he's like, dude, I'm in such a fucking jam. Like, will you join – like, will you come out on this tour and play bass for Exhumed? You know, I'd, I'd never even – I don't even think I'd ever touched a bass at that point. Like, you know, we didn't have him in the house or anything like that. We'd keep that shit out in the shed. But, <laughs> like <laughs> um, – but so I didn't have a bass. I didn't have any bass equipment. I'd never played – I hadn't played any of these Exhumed songs and you know, quite a while. And they'd, they'd already had a new record out too. So I, I hadn't played any of the stuff on the new record. Uh, I had played on the, some of the earlier splits and stuff like that. But, um, so we go, like my recollection of it is that we, like Matt was showing, like we're in the van driving from San Jose to Florida and Matt's showing me how to play the set basically in the van on the way there. Like Mike beams is driving the van and we're sitting in the back, like, you know, cross legs, fucking sitting there with our guitars and bass. And just like, he's showing, okay, this riff's here, this riff's here. I'm like, okay, all right, cool. Uh, and then like we, and then we just show up in fucking Florida three days later and play the first show. <laughs> um, that may not be totally accurate, but that's, that is my, that is as much of a recollection as I have about it. Uh, and so, yeah, that was, you know, we, I did that tour for the, the first 10 days. Um, and so, you know, I came home. I'm, you know, like, I was, like, 20, like, well, let's see, in, in 2000, I would have been, like, 22 or something like that. So I got a big fucking head. Um, you know, <laughs> I just came back from a tour. Uh, we're trying to get the first Impaled tour going. And, you know, I'm like, oh, well, you need to do this and you need to do this. And that's how a real touring band does it. 
But I mean, you know, the reality of what was that, like, you know, we were out with these much bigger bands. Nobody gave a shit about. Ex- I mean, there was some. There's definitely Exhumed fans, but like, you know, it was Mayhem's first tour of the the states, Hate Eternal's first tour, maybe. Like, you know, it was, you know, the, they were like clearly the big bands there, and and you know, we were just kind of like the the also ran band that was on the on the bill. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, man, I remember that that first show, like we or maybe it was a second show, like, like they wheeled in a coffin full of beer backstage and I drank as much of it as I could. And like, I just spent the entire next day just puking my fucking guts out, like all day, all through the show, like just laying on the ground in a cold corner. Cause it was hot as fuck. Cause it was the summer, just like puking and barfing. I'm just like feeling like shit all day. And like, you know, I learned some, <laughs> learned some hard lessons on that tour for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, and then like Impaled started to, we did two Impaled tours after that, uh, me and my big head telling, trying to tell everybody what to do. And um, yeah, from there, I mean, then I think I took a couple of years off where I didn't really tour so much. After I was, I got the boot from Impaled, um, I went to college and man, my, my, uh, <laughs> my, history of my own self is very confusing to me too but uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> I think yeah after the impaled years I went to college uh, for a little bit like a like a junior college or whatever um, and uh, you know I kind of dropped out of the scene for a little bit moved out to fucking Concord and then no no, no that, that was before impaled actually fuck so yeah I, I kind of can't remember but um, alright well anyway well, well. Just speaking of impaled, something I do want to ask about impaled and, and sticking with that era is, um, you, you know, you mentioned the demo, uh, which you know, and you kind of explained why that might have a little bit of some a stylistic difference from what the band would go on to become. You guys put out this, the iconic split with Cephalic Carnage, uh, I should say. Um, and the split with Engorged, and then you get to the meat right there in 2000 with the Dead Shall Dead Remain full length on Death Vomit Records. Could you talk a little bit about that full length album and um, yeah. maybe the intent, the recording process, just because it's it's a pretty iconic album to some people. Yeah, I that, I mean, man, like I could write a fucking book about that shit. Like, I mean, meat. So I guess yeah. After after I did this college thing, I moved into the city. I moved in with Sean. So me and him were roommates. And so we would just like, you know, get super drunk and just write music all night. We would write these super goofy lyrics that were just like, we would just be cracking up, like just like the funniest, you know, toilet fucking jokes. Like, you know, it's total potty humor, but we just like thought it was so funny. And and I still think it's funny. Don't get me wrong. But uh, (laughs) like. So we would do that. We would sit there just, I mean, we were just like, we, me and him just like, I've, I've never had a writing partner that I clicked so easily with as, as Sean McGrath. Like we wrote so we, I mean, we probably could have made two records out of all the riffs that we stuffed into Dead Shall Dead Remain. Maybe not anymore. There's a lot more tech death bands that put, you know, 50 riffs per song. But at the time, anyway, having as many riffs as we were, I mean, you know, it kind of to a fault really like where we were writing these like you know five and six minute songs that should have been just like three minute bangers and we should have just done two records instead of one but um you know so we so me and sean are writing most of the music um we didn't have a bass player at first 
Um, and it was like, uh, we had we had a bass player, and then we had that dude Jared that was playing guitar before me, and we made Jared kick out the bass player, and then Jared quit. So we didn't have, you know, that's when I started playing guitar, but we didn't have a bass player. We tried out a couple guys. Um, we asked if, I think we asked Ross if he just would fill in. Um, like, you know, we, we were just like kind of running out of ideas. We're like, well, Ross is our buddy, so fuck it. You know, maybe he'll come play with us. And I think, you know, he, he went, he was amenable to filling in. And I think, you know, he kind of, we're just like, hey, you want to just play bass for us? And he was just like, yeah, totally. And we're like, cool. Um, which I think led to some static between him and Exum later on. But, uh, but anyway, the, so Ross came in with, um, uh, fucking his song. Uh, I'm a lover of the dead. Da, 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 da. Ah, fuck it. Back to the grave. Um, and, uh, you know, me and Sean wrote the lion's share of it, but, but, but Ross would, you know, he would kind of temper some of our like ridiculousness too a little bit, I think like where you're just like, you don't need a riff after a riff after a riff after a riff, like just repeat a riff here. Like don't fucking, you know, riff salad. It just, just, you know, make it catchy. And we're like, oh, okay. You're right. Um, so, so we wrote like that whole, I feel like it didn't take us very long to write that record. Um, after the second demo came out, the second demo, the first demo was septic vomit. That was with Jared. And the second demo was from here to colostomy. And we, I think we, we pulled a couple songs from, from here to colostomy that ended up on dead shall dead remain. Um, we went to record with Raul's friend, Mo, uh, who's, who was this dude who was, I think he was Testament's front of house sound guy, but he was, he was in the same, building that we were testaments also still in the same building i think we're impaled still is 24 years later honestly wow. okay uh, yeah they the same building in the same rehearsal spot they moved a couple doors down but then the same building they've been there for 24 years if i'm not mistaken there it's awesome. um, okay that's, <laughs> it's amazing it's like incredible but um so uh we you know, we went to Mo was building or had just finished building a little studio in like this. He was living in like an in-law suite, like, in, you know, like a little house in somebody's backyard. Um, and so we like basically recorded in his bedroom, uh, drums and everything. And man, we just did not know anything about like, like, you know, when we got the contract from from Necropolis, it was they had literally written the worst contract they had ever they had ever written to see if we were stupid enough to sign it. We absolutely jumped at the fucking chance to fucking sign it. But you guys worked uh, there. You, weren't you guys their employees? Eventually, not not then. We have we went on to become employees there. That's how we figured out. And everybody else's contract so much better than ours. Like this is bullshit. Oh man. <laughs> but. <laughs> You know, we were young and dumb. We wanted a record out. It's like the fucking rock, the endless rock and roll story from the beginning of time, you know? Yeah, um, so we signed yeah. this bad contract. They gave us like, I don't know, like five grand or something to record the whole record. Uh, Mo was down to record it. And we went in there and you would never know this, but the record actually sounded really fucking good. Like the, um, the un unmastered version of that record sounds like i mean it's not tight our playing is all over the place we're again like the cannibal thing like just playing at the very edge of our ability there's some riffs in there that like i probably had to record like 10 times like you know i just couldn't play it at that speed like raul just like sped it up by like you know 15 percent. and i was just like i mean which i was i 100 back to the fullest but like 
you know, I was at the time I was just like, man, this riff is unplayable at the speed. So I just kind of flubbed my way through it. Um, you know, we, we, we drank a lot of practice and, you know, we'd practice for like an hour or two. And then like by hour three, we'd all be drunk. And then we recorded like that too. So we, you know, by a couple hours into recording, you know, we would have like cleaned out a case of beer or something and we would all be kind of fucking a little slippery. And, you know, that's why the record sounds, it, uh, although, like I said, the unmastered version is better. And then, um, the guy at the, the guy who owns Necropolis, his, he wanted to have like a big name on the audio, the production side. So he enlisted James Murphy, uh, you know, the guy from uh, obituary and, yeah. uh, answer, you know, who James Murphy is, yeah. uh, he was to master it and, uh, man, working with James is one of the the most painful, least fun, awful things I've ever been through. It's like he was just he just did not want to have any part of it. He thought you know this the music was garbage. He didn't like the record. He didn't want his name on it. Wow. Uh, we we kept hassling him. You know, I'd, I'd I'd call him up. You know, it's like a month had gone by, and uh, I called him up and like, hey man, like you know we would we want to know what's going on with the record. You know, have you? I, I didn't know it only takes like a couple I, I mean you could master a record in a couple hours if you're good you know I'm thinking like okay this is going to be like a week long process the fact that it took a month like you know I was like okay let's just check in on the progress I didn't you know I didn't know fucking shit from Shinola about it but um, so you know I'm calling him up and I'm like asking him you know what's going on with this record man and he, he's just like hey stop bothering me you know <laughs> and he's like hitting up on me so another month goes by and I call him up and he's like, what? And I'm like, I, I just want to know what's going on with the record, man. He's like, hey, I'm locked in my studio. Can you fucking leave me alone? I'm like, hey, if you're locked in the studio, why don't you master the fucking record? And he hangs up on me again. And then like, you know, another couple of weeks goes by and I'm just like, I think Necropolis, like they, they must have paid him up front or something. I don't know, because if they had been withholding money, like he would have gotten it done much faster. But um, so at some point he's just like, they we just get notification that the record has been sent off to press like you know somebody called or they're like yeah the re and so we hadn't we didn't even get to hear the master mm. until we got the rec until we literally got our one long box of records you know uh cds rather and uh man we get it we pull it out we put it on and it's just like you know it's like it's it just sounds like he ran it through a compressor with everything on 10 and it's just like it's just like the harshest fucking thing you could ever listen to, and you know at, at this point that's very charming to me. Uh, I really like how how fucking garbage it sounds. Like you know, there's so much like the bass is like a half step out of tune on some songs, and like it's just crushed. Like the comp the the compression is so crushed. If you listen to it on headphones, when there's a guitar break on like one of the sides, like where the just the left guitar is playing, if you listen to the right side, you just hear. <laughs> it's just fucking noise you know wow so it's it's just he just crushed the fuck out of it and like we played it for our friends and they're like wow this sounds terrible huh. you know i think i think at the time like a few people you know thought that mo fucked up the mix but uh mo did a great job mixing it and it's just james just he didn't care and he just like he just shit it out and sent it off to press and like then we got it back and we're like man this is totally fucked up like you know this is my my first record i'm st i'm i'm still pissed about it man i'm not gonna lie <laughs> like uh, like you know it's my first record my first real band like you know these are my best friends in the world we, we worked our i mean well we didn't work that hard for the record but you know i'd like to think that we thought we did 
But, um, wow. you know, it's, it's just, you know, you get the record and you hear it and it sounds like shit and you're just like, it, for me as like a, you know, 22 year old, it was like, I was like devastated by it. You know, I was just like, man, this, and you know, cause people, all oh, this production sucks. These, the guitars sound like shit, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, we thought we had like a really carefully crafted, you know, our magnum opus. Right. So, you know, hearing people review it that way, it was, it's rough, dude, you know? <laughs> It's interesting to hear back because I thought, well, it's. I think maybe you guys might have inadvertently captured some of that raw magic of the of the early Swedish bands you might have been trying to uh, uh, imitate, like yeah, like yeah. with with the with the because a lot of those early European bands, um, uh, the the Swedish bands, the Finnish band, a lot of a lot of times there was it's it's a matter of the the studio where the producer had no idea how to produce metal, and that's how they come out with some of those sounds. So right. maybe you at, at least maybe some listeners like me were tricked into thinking it was intentional. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. I can't imagine that record sounding any other way. Like like Sean found the unmastered version of it recently. And we were like, he sent us some a couple of MP3s of it. And I was like, man, this record sounded pretty decent before it got mastered. But it's like, I, I honestly couldn't pick. I mean, it is really harsh, and there's a lot of like, you know, as a studio guy myself now, like, there's so many frequencies that I would dot that are just like ear splitting whistle that you would just dot like uh. you would never leave that in a recording. Um, but like, but it is, it is, it, it has its charm for sure. That it's just <laughs> so rails it is just so harsh and like fucking i mean there's been harsher shit recorded since then last days of humanity or even miasmatic necrosis or whatever but you know but it's like that record just sounded so fucking like i think i i was i was pretty pissed about it for for you know like a, a short period of time but i kind of just like you know, I listen to my records a lot. Uh, and I'm not embarrassed to admit, like I write music that I want to listen to. So, so I, I can't imagine hearing that record in another. I mean, when we did the re-recording later on, hearing that version felt to me like too clean. You know, it was like the 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 original version still as garbage as it is. Like, you know, still stands out as the as the version that I would prefer to listen to. Was that the the total inspiration to do the re-recording? So, <laughs> the no. Um, in fact, uh, it's funny because I actually did just field a question about this earlier today. But, uh, but the so on the second impaled record that I'm not a part of, uh, Mondo Medicali, there's a song where um, I don't know if this is public knowledge or not, but it's coming out today if it's not. But uh, it's there, there's a song where they're making fun of Necropolis Records uh, because at at that point in Necropolis's history, it was like there was just like an intern manning the phone and there's like piles of trash on the floor and shit. <laughs> uh, it was just like a total dump. And so there's, there's a song on Mondo Medicale. I think it's the very last song rest in feces, if I remember correctly. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's basically talking shit about Necropolis records. Uh, and then Necropolis put it out and then somebody hit the guy to the fact that like, Hey, this is, this is about you, bro. And he's been so, I feel like he's been so bent out. He won't give us the rights to any of the impaled stuff. Um, so we ha we were never able to just re-release it. Like we've, over the years, I've, I've probably just myself personally fielded like two, three dozen like requests from decent labels, uh, from all spectrum of labels. Like, hey, we want to re-release Dead Shall Dead Remain and Mondo Medicali. Who do I talk to? 
it's like you can't talk to anybody because Paul's still fucking bent out of shape that mm. you know they made a joke song about Necropolis and he won't he won't let go of the rights and we've hassled him about it for years like hey man just give us the rights back for this you know we'll pay we'll pay you for it you know the Necropolis doesn't even exist anymore like you know here, here's like a you know I don't know a thousand bucks for your time or whatever the fuck all you got to do is just say it's okay so we can put it out again or whatever and he's just like all oh, right right mate I'll get back to you when I get back to you and never does so you know, wow. it's oh, it's sucks. been a little frustrating. <laughs> what was it like working for that label? Because for people, don't, Necropolis was a label in the uh, mid to late '90s that kind of had a big splash and was known for being kind of like the American cult black metal label in the '90s era when that was a very um, unique thing. Uh, and then right. it kind of and then it kind of went out and a lot of people, you know, kind of went out very fast and mysteriously. And a lot of the like you say, I, I don't think you guys are the only part of that catalog that has been made obscure. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of people that would like to get their back catalog back and be able to, like, you know, license that shit somewhere else, you know, make a buck or even just have it out there. Um, but uh, so, you know, working there, it was very chaotic. I was working. Uh, I started working at a software company that was in Fremont, and my boss—I was like, you know, 22, 23, something like that—and uh, my boss. And there's a place called the Bria Soft. I don't think they lasted very long, but my boss is like this 18-year-old fucking chump that, like, you know, we went out to lunch, and I had a beer at lunch, and he was like, "What are you doing? You're getting drunk on the job." And I was like, "Bro, one Corona is not gonna do it for me. I'm fucking Polish, dude. <laughs> like, this is just not how it works for us." Um, and, uh, so I, I was at this job, I was fucking miserable. Uh, I was, I just happened to either run into Paul or talk to him, Paul Necropolis. And, um, and he was like, Mike, come work over at Necropolis, man. We need a webmaster. We need your skills, man. And I was like, all right, man, you know, but I'm, I'm not coming cheap. I'm coming at, you know, my, the sal the salary I'm getting at that you're going to, can you match the salary? Can you meet me like somewhere close by? And he was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, all right, cool. So I went over there, uh, I built a whole new website for them. It was like, you know, at the time, uh, you know, it was, it was much more manual labor, uh, data entry kind of shit than, than I care to admit. But, um, you know, we, I, I basically had coded, you know, or I'd make a template and then I'd have to, to copy that template for each of these pages. And it, like, so each band would have like a bio page, like a picture page like a downloads page, a fucking, like a link to their own thing page or whatever. So each band had like six pages and then there was like, you know, 50 bands. So it's like, that's like 300 pages. Um, so, or wait, is my math? Yeah, right. So like, you know, 300 pages plus all the Necropolis pages then like all the stuff that I had to maintain and update and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it was a lot of work. Um, you know, Paul, sends me an email like after I'd been there for a month and he, he it, the email just says docking uh, and you know I open up this email and it's like he's like hey I'm docking your pay because you haven't you haven't done anything and so I, like I printed it out I was so fucking pissed I watched I was like what the fuck is this man and he's just like it's oh, my my it's a joke it's a joke mate oh don't worry about it you know and uh you know it was <laughs> Paul was such a weird guy. I, I, I mean, I, I don't even dislike the guy. I actually, I actually do like him. He, he's a very quirky guy. I shouldn't really talk so much shit about him. He's, he's, he's a nice enough guy. He's just a, you know, he's got his own shit going on. He had, he, I think the label had stopped being his like primary interest. You know, his, his dad owned some businesses and he had an opportunity to get into that business. And, 
I, I, I feel like he started being kind of a little embarrassed by the label because he start. This is conjecture on my point. I don't. This isn't a fact at all. But like you know, he started signing bands like that who I like, like Babylon Horrors and and uh, you know, kind of more rock and rollish bands and kind of like more like you know, like bands that might actually sell some records. You know, I think at the time there you know witchery was probably like the biggest band on necropolis we were like licensed enslaved and mayhem and stuff like that those were all big releases for us but um but you know the the label those were licensed deals but like you know the label didn't have like a big selling band other than witchery i mean it had like aeon i mean well aeon was pretty early then uh death vomit had like impaled and exhumed and um usurper usurper agents of satan like bands like that yeah. you know like yeah, Usurper was kind of a big band for Necropolis too, but Usurper's um, still around, actually. Is, is that that you know? I actually did know that because I'm friends with Dan. Fucking, uh, I, I I didn't know that they were still putting stuff out though. But well, I, will, I should pay attention. I, I should fact check that, but I believe they've they've performed at least recently or have had a presence online yes. recently. But um, Witchery, such a great band, man. Yeah, Witchery was great, and those guys were really fun to hang out with. Uh, when we we hung out with that we played at uh you know the uh, I don't know if it was November to dismember or not it wasn't Milwaukee it was the one that was in like Pennsylvania or something um I can't it's the name's eluding me right now but as one of those you know as one of those Jack Koshik presents um, yeah festivals yeah that, I mean that was one of the first big ones that we played too we played like Enslaved we flew with Enslaved those guys were so funny man. The enslaved guys had just seen the Jerky Boys, and hearing a Norwegian dude fucking try to do Jerky Boys shit is <laughs> one of the funniest you ever hear in your life. Wow, that's it great. Was, we were getting off the plane in Detroit, like we had a layover or something, and the one of the dudes from Enslaved like stands up and he's like, "Move your ass, sizzle chest." <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> that makes me feel like I might have an in with those guys. I thought man, they might be. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't know if I'd be able to get them on the show. <laughs> yeah, when they find out it's my real accent, that you know, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if we get them on, man. But we got you on now, man. And um, there's so much to cover, Leon. I don't want to get stuck stuck in an era, bro. Yeah, sorry, I can fucking talk about myself all goddamn day. Well, that, that's what we got you here for, man. But what I'm here for, I got all these notes. There's a couple of yeah. things I want to get into. Um, yeah, nothing crazy. Don't worry. Uh, but, <clears throat> um. I do want to talk about some of the other bands you've been involved in through the years. And when I look at the early 2000s, I look at Intronaut. Um, yeah. In 2005, you put out the Null demo and then the Null EP the year later, as well as the the Void uh, album, which I believe was the only full-length album you were, you were part of with them, right? Yep. You, do, you want to talk about just like the, the beginning? Are you a founding member of that band or did you come to join that band early on? What was that, like 2004? Yeah, so I, I moved to L.A. I was on tour with Exhumed in 2004, and I, I was playing drums in a band, actually. That that band never really – it was a band called Artificium Sang, which is a black metal band that I was playing drums in. And uh, that band kind of never really broke out of its shell. But, um, you know, I was like uh, – I got I – th I, I think I got kicked out of that band because I tried to poach their drummer for an Exhumed tour. <laughs> uh, the guy who was filling in for me. Like I was like, so th they had a guy filling in for me, and I tried to poach him for Exhumed, and they were like, you know what, fuck you, you're out. Um, so well deserved, you know, I, I get it. Um, so uh, <laughs> I I come back 
to the Bay Area from this tour, and I'm like, I'm out of, um, you know, I was a little disillusioned with Exhumed. Like, I think I was just a little burnt out. We did like a five month tour. It was it was brutal, man. Like we we did five, we did like a hundred and. 15 shows in 125 days or 125 shows in 135 days like we had 10 days off in five months and not two days consecutively anywhere wow. like and that you know like some of those days we'd be on a plane like to japan or australia or whatever for a full day or whatever um so i mean i would don't get me wrong i would literally give my left not to go do that again right now but um but so I, I was a little burned out. I wasn't really sure what the future was for me and Exhumed. I was feeling like pretty done, I think. And I'm pretty sure Matt was was pretty done too. That actually that for a fact, yeah, that was like Matt split up Exhumed at the end of 2004, 2005, because he was just like, I'm done with this shit, man, for like six years. Um, but so I moved. I. I came back to the Bay Area. I realized like I don't have a band. I don't have any real anything really going on. Uh, I had been talking to the drummer from Intronaut. Like me and him had been talking. Well, so Intronaut didn't exist at that point. Um, but so I've been talking to this drummer, this amazing drummer, and um, you know I wanted to jam with him. And like I wanted to, ha I wanted to do Murder Construct. I, I had had Murder Construct on the back boiler for you know a couple of years already at that point. And, uh, you know, I want to do terrorizer style grind. Um, and so I was like, fuck it. Let's just, I'm just going to move to LA. Uh, so I packed up, you know, my fucking one pair of pants and my 500 black shirts and fucking two guitars and moved to LA. And, um, you know, I just like, I kind of settled in quick and like, I think it was like day two I was there. Uh, I met this guy, Dan Dismal. He's a promoter in LA. Uh, maybe, you know, Dan, um, shout out to Dan. <laughs> Fucking great guy. Um, so he put on a he put on these festivals called the Murder Fest, and I think it was Murder Fest number one or two or something like that. Um, and Sasha from Internet was working at Century Media, and they had a they had a table there. And so I walk up to you know this lanky skinny dude, and I'm just like, hey, I'm my name's Leon. I'm supposed to be here to meet this dude Sasha. And he's like, oh, I'm Sasha, and I was like, oh, okay. So we start talking. Uh, and he gives me this like drum machine demo of some songs. Like his real, it was, it was, uh, man, what's that song called? Um, uh, it's a song that actually made it to the record, or to, made it to Null rather. It's the first song on Null. Uh, I can't remember the name of it is right now. Um, but uh, you know, it was a demo version of that, just him and a drum machine, uh, and it was so weird. Like, you know, me and me and Danny, the drummer, had been talking about doing something kind of more like like mogwai or mono or something like that like kind of a big build-up-y thing which is sort of the the trend at the time and um i was kind of bored with death metal and stuff a little bit so i was like yeah i want to do something different and then you know i heard this this demo and um i was just like wow this is really weird and it was kind of challenging it was like there wasn't like a single riff on there that was in 4-4 that i can remember you know so it's like everything was in an odd meter and uh and I was like, yeah, this is cool. So, like, you know, we went and jammed. Uh, Sasha knew Joe. We got Joe, uh, like, one of the most amazing bass players of all time. And, you know, we just put this band together, like, in a pretty short amount of time. And I think we really liked jamming with each other. So we did it, like, you know, three, four times a week. And we just wrote Null. Then we wrote Void. And then we wrote the Challenger EP. Like, we wrote all those. I mean, it's only, like, that's probably only, like, 12 songs or something. But, like, wrote all those songs and like, I don't know. I feel like it was just like a year or two or something like that. 
Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I was just going to say, you know, for 12 songs is, is a lot for intro, not maybe, maybe not for a grindcore band, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were a little longer. Um, I mean, it was it was a it was kind of a difficult band for me to be in because, uh, you know, I wasn't I had never played to like a metronome before. Like that was completely new to me. And I wasn't like a big pedal guy at the time. Like I, I didn't. If I had a pedal, it was a distortion pedal, and that's it, you know. Um, so, I, you know, and then, like, you know, having to count these odd meters, I've seen video of myself playing with Intronaut where I can see my lips moving because I'm fucking counting, like, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, or, like, you know, whatever, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, or whatever the fuck it is, um, you know, because I was having such a hard time. Like, it wasn't like the stuff was super technical or anything. It, it certainly wasn't, you know, necrophagist level shit or whatever. But it was it was challenging for me as a guy who had very little restraint and who was, you know, I it was, you know, I'd, I'd get up on stage and just kind of work my fucking demons out, right? Like everybody does. And uh, for Intronaut, it was really difficult for me to kind of like have to... to be super mindful of what I was doing um, and I really had a hard time with it like it, it wasn't that it wasn't fun it was just it was just difficult for me uh, it just was a complete 180 from what I was used to doing you know yeah um, very different band and you you go into the story on the wheel must podcast about uh, kind of losing interest in that band because you wanted to do something that had more um, aggression and more energy maybe something more uh traditional to your roots i guess you could say yeah so that was i mean in the background of doing intronaut every now and again we would do murder construct and sometimes sometimes it would be the full intronaut band doing murder construct songs uh like a, a couple times at least we like you know i taught them the riffs and then we did it and they're like yeah we could do this on the side or whatever and i was like you know like i remember danny saying to me he's like i've just never seen you light up like that when when we were doing that murder construct stuff they're like you're so into it and I think that kind of like that realization to them sort of meant like oh, this guy's kind of not really into what we're trying to do here. And that might have been true to I mean, that was that was to some extent true. Like, I, I just felt like I wasn't getting it off my chest. You know, that's probably exactly what I said to Ellis. But, um, you know, I, I really liked I, I still think that that first Intronaut record is one of my favorite things I've ever been a part of. Like every now and again, I still spin it and I like. Like, man, this is something that's really fucking good for its time. And, like, it's really, it sounds great. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. It's different. Um, it's something I'm super fucking proud of. But I think, like, kind of, I was I was probably, like, still, even though I was the oldest guy in the band, I was probably, like, 25. The rest of those guys were, like, 23 or something. Uh, and in 2004, I guess I would have been, like, 26, 27. 27. Um, but, you know, like, at... I'm. I still might have been too young to just be able to rein it in, you know. Like I, I was just like, man, I just want to fucking grind. Like I just, oh, I just, I just want to blast beats. I just want to fucking, huh. you know, just go then just be like completely, you know, just completely spent at the end of this set. Like I just can't even give it another fucking, you know, I can't even move my neck anymore or whatever, you know, that kind of huh. that kind of feeling. Right? Well, that might be a great segue because if I'm looking at my notes, am I right to assume? That around the same time you part ways with Intronaut is when you join Phobia. So I was actually in Phobia concurrently with with Intronaut, um, 
and so and so is Danny. So both of us, you know, basically, um, you know, I played guitar and intro, but I played I was like the fill-in bass player for Phobia, um, which is kind of funny because also at that same Murder Fest fest where I met Sasha, uh, I I met Shane from Phobia. And Shane from Phobia comes, he's like, are you fucking Leon? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. And he's like, he's like, motherfucker, you're going to play guitar in Phobia. And I was like, oh, you can't kick out Steve, dude. That guy's the fucking OG. I defended Steve to the fucking nth degree. And that guy turned out to be like one of the hardest to work with people I've ever been around. But uh, alas, I'll, I'll let that one slide. But uh, so I could have I could have totally been the guitar player in Phobia. And I fucking talked myself out of a job and ended up playing Phobia or bass in Phobia. And, um, you know, that was, uh, I just wanted to go on tour, you know, I just wanted to fucking grind and go on tour and have fun and party and play this fucking easy music that, I mean, relatively easy, like, you know, it's not, you know, it's not big brain fucking music, it's, it's simple, it's aggressive, it's fucking, you know, it's what, it's what grindcore is supposed to be, pretty much, uh-huh. and, um, you know, and I, and I get to spend all this time in a van and, like, going you know, traveling around with my friends and then we're drinking and partying and fucking doing stupid shit. So that, you know, that was extremely appealing to me at the time. It still is extremely appealing to me, actually. Um, but more so than even like, you know, I would come home and I'd work like a contract job for six months and then fucking just quit and go on tour whenever I could. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I was in Phobia kind of on and off for for a while there um i did i did a shitload of splits with them like man probably like a half dozen splits of like extinction of mankind and gadget and all kinds of other bands whose names i'm forgetting right now um and i did a couple records with them i did 22 random acts of violence Mm -hmm. and man we did one not that long ago that i just kind of flew down like Man, this is the most wild recording session ever. It was like we went in with five songs and we left with like 22, like in a weekend. Like we just wrote like Bruce, uh, who used to be in Phobia and who's back in Phobia now and who's uh, the main guy in DIS. Um, me, Bruce, Danny. Shane writes. Shane actually writes a lot of this, the Phobia songs. Like he, he just goes in there and belts them out and... Um, He's a like pretty decent bass player, good guitar player. He he just goes in, and records all the guitar and bass. Like we would all, we would each do that. Just go in, and it's like okay. I mean, we'd literally, it's it's so so fucking nuts. Like we would just get a napkin, and Danny would just be like, all right, D beat, D beat, chokes, blast beat, blast beat, blast beat, breakdown, mosh riff, mosh riff, uh, breakdown, D beat, D beat, done. And it's like okay. And so then I would go into another room and write the riffs to that pattern. And then fucking we would just go record it right then and there. <laughs> so, I mean, some of that stuff is just not great. Like, you know, if I'm if I'm being real honest about it, like it's not my favorite stuff I've ever done. Uh, but every now and again, you get a little fucking diamond in the rough, you know, <laughs> where it's like, oh, just this song I just wrote. There's there's one song that I can't even remember what the name of that last record is. Damn. Was it, um, was it Lifeless God? Lifeless God. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Lifeless God. There's their Damaged was one that I wrote on there, and I don't even know the names of the other songs that I wrote on there. Damaged was the only one I remember because that one like kind of became the single, I guess, for that record. Um, and uh, yeah, there, there's a couple jams in there, but but yeah, I mean, you know, it's you when you write like that, like 
you know, if you have an ego like I do, like fucking it's, 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 hmm. you, you got to really let that go because you're not, not every riff is going to make you look like a fucking guitar god and it's not supposed to, but I would like second guess myself be like, man, this riff is too stupid. Like, it's just like too bonehead. Like I can't let this fly, but it's like, well, fuck, I didn't write anything else. So I guess this is going on the record. And then, you know, here, and it's like, sometimes like, like, you know what? That's pretty fucking good. And other times just like, oh god fuck like why did i let that escape my brain like i should have just killed that one in the womb man but you know <laughs> yeah so anyway uh tour of phobia yeah that shit was fun we did a lot of wacky tours like slept on a lot of greasy punk floors and shit and fucking you know just, <laughs> it was yeah that's fun man like, that's what i wanted to it was I, genuinely fun that's what i wanted to ask you about touring with phobia because that's a band that kind of has a reputation uh, for playing like the the more like underground DIY punk scene, um, the squats that that sort of thing, and the, you know this the singer Shane kind of has an iconic reputation as maybe a, a little bit of a live wire. Are there any, are there any like wild tour stories? Yeah, uh, this is one I've told a lot because it's one of the, the my favorite stories of all time. Um, but we played in. Uh, in San Diego at this place called The Garage, and it, and it actually turned out to be a garage. Um, and so it's, 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 it's Thanksgiving Eve, and like I think we had played a couple shows before. We got Brian Fajardo on drums. Um, wow, I'm playing, okay. Yeah, fucking Fajardo. Man. Oh my God, that guy is just, he's just like my favorite grind drummer of all time. Um, but so we got Fajardo, me, Steve, uh, Shane. Uh, the, the night like was already kind of like there's just you know you know you ever get to a show and it's just like you could just sort of feel it like it's like fucking you know i know it's such a cliche but it's just like you could just tell that like something's gonna happen and yeah. just feel like it's just like electricity in the air like you feel a tension or whatever um so you know like while one of the opening bands was playing i think there was a fight and then the second band played and you know we were kind of like it's a it's a sort of big band from LA that's they're they're kind of garbage but they're sort of big and they they, they sort of like they, they kind of come in and act like it like oh it's uh, where's the green room pardon me excuse me plebeian or whatever uh, so they played so I'm kind of like you know after a couple beers I'm like man fuck these guys or whatever and uh, there's nothing wrong with them for real but like you know in my head my drunk fucking dipshit head uh, you know I'm like these guys are fucking posers anyway um, so we start playing and fucking Shane is like, um, he says, this song goes out to fans of the casualties. It's called, uh, if you weren't into punk, if you aren't into punk now, you never were something like that. Like it basically is making fun of people. Um, I thought it was a very light fucking jab myself. Like I didn't think, but this dude behind the bar is big fucking like six foot something dude charged up fucking mohawk it's like fuck you the casualties of my favorite band and uh shane's like your favorite band sucks and the guy throws a glass shane jumps straight off the fucking stage runs over to the guy i'm fucking like i didn't even have a bass i had to borrow a bass from the opening band so like i'm like fumbling around taking this bass off and like running over there to fucking either get into this fight or get my ass kicked or or just to say i did or whatever and fucking uh by the time i get up over there like you know people are kind of they were fighting across the bars the, this big dude's behind the bar shane's in front of the, the bar shane's a 
straight up foot shorter than this guy. And so he's punching out, the other dude's punching down. They're punching each other, they're breaking the taps and stuff. Anyway, the fight gets broken up. We finish our set. We're like, the show's over, but people are sticking around because it's New Year's Eve and they're going to do a countdown and, and do, you know, big celebration at midnight, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we're packing up and stuff. Uh, I, I walk out into the yard. This is literally at somebody's home in their garage. Uh, I walk out into the yard and I see this that big punk dude. And that guy says, he's talking to his friend, but I just happen to walk right next to him, hear him say, you know, he's like, oh, they got some like long haired fucking, you know, probably a word I won't say on fucking, you know, uh, that he's talking about me. He's like, oh, like these guys are assholes. They got some metal guy playing with them. Fake punk, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm just like, wow. Okay. So I, I go back. I see Shane. I'm like, oh, I saw your buddy out front. And Shane's like, what? And uh, I was like, and right at that second, I knew I fucked up. I was like, no, oh, no, no, no. You know what? No, 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 no. Uh, we're all good, dude. Let's fucking get out of here. And Shane's like, no, fuck that. And he fucking jumps over the table, runs out into the yard. And I'm like, fuck, God damn it. And Fajardo's like, dude, why did you say anything to him? And I'm like, I don't know, man. That was so stupid. I don't know why I said anything. That was so dumb. So we're like jamming our shirts back into the box. Like, we're like, okay, we got to get the fuck out of here. The cops are going to come. This is going to be like a nightmare. And uh, so, you know, we, we get all the boxes out and we're running out into the front yard to go load up and get out of there. And I just see all these people are along this fence. and They're looking into the street and they're just like, oh, shit. And then I see that the big punk guy and he's crying. He's literally standing there holding his face. He's crying. He obviously just got punched. And he's just like, I didn't fucking say shit to that dude. And like fucking. And so I'm like, so I walk past this big crying punk dude. And I see all these people at the fence and they're all looking into the street. And like, I'm, and like, so I go over and like, what the fuck is going on in the street? And I see Shane is laying face down in the street and the owner of the house, this woman who turns out to be like, she's like this judo champ. She has him like just hogtied, like just wrapped up face down in the middle of the street. She's like, are you going to calm the fuck down? You're going to calm down? And he's like, get the fuck off me. <laughs> you know, she's just like, calm the fuck down, calm the fuck down. And you know, he's screaming at her. She's screaming. And then people are like, Five, four, three, two, one. Happy New Year! <laughs> it's just like the most bizarre fucking scene. You know, oh like, my God. you know, get Shane into the car and he's like, yeah, fucking Happy New Year. I got beat up by a girl. And like, fucking, you know, we're like driving him home. He's just like, that is the weirdest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I mean, but that kind of shit and phobia was just like, that was just like par for the course. That's just one that I remember very well. But like, wow, that kind of not unusual for phobia at all. Wow, that's crazy, man. All right. All right. Well, that's that's what I was looking for, man. Jeez. That, yeah. Okay, so well, speaking of tour story, here's just something I wanted to bring up, man, because Leon, like I said, man, when we when I got you on the line, when we were testing the line before prior to the interview, uh, you know, I said it was good to see you. You and I have kind of met up at random times over the years, and we have a couple of friends, like uh, mutual friends in the scene in common and things like that. And I think... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the first time I met you might have been, I could be wrong, but in 2006 when Biolich was supporting Demolich and you guys like saved our ass and loaned us a bunch of gear in the, yeah. the, the in the Los Angeles stop of the tour. If I think, what band were you in then? Intronaut. So that was oh, all okay. Intronaut. That's yeah, it was Intronaut's gear. That's right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the funny thing about that, too, so I had known Danny Olivencia for, like, since that dude was, like, 15 or something, maybe even younger. Like, we were talking on, you know, AOL Instant Messenger back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
I had always heard about the mythical beast that is Will Smith, you know, so that, but that was the first time I'd actually met you, I think. But I had heard so much about you over the years um, from, from Danny and probably from Paulo too. Um, but so yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting to me. And then like, yeah, when Danny called me up, he's like, man, look, we're in Texas. Uh, we don't have any gear. We had to like, I kind of forget what it was, but like there was a gear full of trailer and you guys had to leave it behind for some reason. The, well, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, that's a whole nother story within a story is gotcha. just, but, but I mean, it basically had to do with the tour, not doing as financially well as planned. And uh, not being able to support the, the the gas for the two vehicles that were going on, it, so we had to condense down. And yeah, it was it, there, there was a lot to it. I think I've told it on the podcast before, but but we ended up in, yeah we ended up in a position where the tour was either going to get canceled or we were going to borrow gear from people like yourself. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah, Danny Danny called me up. Uh, Danny O calls me up, and you know he's like, so I mean I've told so many people about this story too because to me it sounds like a fucked up dream I had or something. I'm like, man, I had this weird dream where my friend Danny was touring with Demolik and fucking they had to call me and they had to borrow my gear and they played in a sushi restaurant. Yep. Like, it was so weird. But that actually happened. That's what happened. It like, did. That's straight up 100% Demolik played, Demolik and Violet played in a sushi restaurant in LA on Internaut's borrowed gear. Uh, and we didn't play at all. Like, we just showed up with the gear and fucking watched the show. And, Demolik is, you know, in my top three bands of all time. It's like, you know, it's Carcass, Dismember, Demolik. Or like, uh, if I had to do a quick death metal rundown of my favorite bands and fucking, you know, I never in a million fucking years thought I would see Demolik, much less, you know, have to show them how to use my fucking stupid amp, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they appreciate it, man. They're gracious guys, nice guys. Yeah, I still I still talk to Auntie and and uh and, and they stayed at the at my house uh not like, a couple of years ago when they toured the states they played in in Oregon mm-hmm. uh, they stayed over here and I, I was just like you know man I, it was so hard not to just be like hey can you show me the riff in sixteenth sixteenth son and blah 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 like you yeah, know yeah. can you show me this show me that? I did have him show me the the very first riff in uh when the sun drank away to the water but uh you know I I couldn't let him leave without. Without a little punishment, right? So you know. yeah, I I punished those guys. I I definitely um got a little corny with those guys over the years, but uh, they they take they 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 get a lot of it nowadays because now they're enjoying um the support they deserve when they go out on the yeah, road, man. Yeah, sure, it's, it's great to see them kind of enjoying that that renaissance in their career. But but get, getting back to you, man, I've had you on here for a while. You've shared a lot of stories. Um, and you've indulged me questions about a lot of a lot of your past. I want to. I don't want to do the disservice of not bringing up this Lightbreaker uh, project yeah. of yours. Um, and I, I, you were kind enough to send us the link, and I've heard you um, explain that it actually has a very obscure kind of sci-fi metal uh, um, influence, inspiration um, on, on another yeah. podcast. Do you want to just get into Lightbreaker and the history of it a little bit, and um, and wh- wh- where it's going? So uh, I don't I don't want to be like a super bummer, but uh, but but to start to start the story of Lightbreaker actually starts with with like I told you earlier that my mom had Alzheimer's, and um, so uh, at that time like I had just me and my wife had just moved up here to Portland around 2015. We moved 2015 around 2016. I decided to move my mom up here uh, so I could take care of her and you know. Uh, her and her husband not doing well financially, and, and you know my mom was full, 
full dementia. Like, you know, she, she, she was not coherent at all. And, um, so we move him up here and, uh, after a lot of shuffling and stuff, I, I get my mom into a, like a group home cause she needs 24 hour care. And at the time I was working, uh, like 10 miles from here. So I, I wasn't around in the day to, you know, give her husband is too dumb to give her her pills and stuff. And like, she would just like wander out into the street and like start knocking at people's doors and stuff. Um, so we couldn't, we had to get her into a group home where she, she could be, she, she would have around the care, around the clock care basically and, and get her pills when she needed. Uh, you know, she, she kept having the, she kept going to the hospital, uh, cause she would get these brain bleeds and, you know, the first time it happened, you know, they were like, like, Hey man, you got to get out here right now. Your mom's, she's got a, a significant brain bleed. She's seizing. You have to come out here. This, you know, you might not see her again. You got to get her affairs in order. So that happened. I go out there, you know, stay there for a couple hours and then she just recovers. And then that happens again. And then it happens again. It happens six times. And, uh, it was just like, so nerve wracking for me. And I was just like, you know, it was just, I just had to do something else to just get my mind completely off of what it was going on with my mom. Just like, you know, for a minute, because it's like, you know, I'm on the phone with people every day, just like, you know, making sure her prescriptions renewed, like, you know, she's getting her, her pills. If she's got a new brain bleed, what does she have to take for that? You know, this is making her sick to her stomach, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking to the group home. I'm talking to our doctors. I'm talking to Medicaid. I'm talking to Medicare, blah, blah, blah. Um, so just to get my mind off it, um, I had always loved this band Oxy Plagats. The the sweet it was it was the original guitar player from At the Gates. His one man project. It's it's it maybe not quite as obscure as I feel like it is, but it's pretty fucking obscure. Um, it's yeah. definitely an obscure project to 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 create a whole worship band about. Um, but so um, I loved that record when I heard it, man. I heard that I heard Worlds and Worlds like in '95, '96 or something like that. I don't even know why I got it. I think it's because I was just such a big early At The Gates fan. I really loved those like first couple records. And uh, I was just like, anything that had to do with At The Gates, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's, I'm, in, I'm in it, dude, let's do it. Um, and that guy had a bunch of bands too, Oral and uh, some other shit that I can't remember. Uh, his name is Alf Svensson. And so he had this Oxyplegats band that I was so into when I was a kid. Like it was kind of a guilty pleasure. I don't, I don't mind admitting it now that I'm, 40 and I don't give a fuck what people think about my taste but um, back then I probably never would have told anybody that I was listening to that record like fucking 10 times a day um, but so uh, it was always kind of like I've like you know written that guy emails like man you need to bring back Oxygats like let's collaborate like I would love to help blah 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 never a response or anything so anyway I, I, uh, I saw a band in LA um, called House of Rabbits, and uh, the the drummer, one of the drummers we had in Terrorizer, the guy that uh, we had at the beginning, he was the drummer in House of Rabbits. We, he's like, yeah, come out and see my other band. They're kind of like a more eclectic um, sort of thing. The guy, the singer, Jess, is like this super powerful voiced operatic singer. <laughs> I saw them, and like something kind of clicked into place. I was like, man, if I was ever gonna do you know, uh, a fucking actual, an Oxyplegats worship band like I've been thinking about and like this thing I've been, I started writing this music to get my mind off what was going on with my mom. I was just putting, I was stacking a riff a day. Every day I was, and that makes it sound like every riff is like the most technical riff ever written or something, but it, it wasn't. It was just like, I would just like think about how I wanted this to progress in a sort of 
kind of cinematic fashion. And so, like, I, I just thought about it, wrote a riff. Okay, this makes sense here. This makes sense here. This the story's kind of taking shape in my head. Um, I'm thinking about you know who I'm going to get to sing on it and everything. I basically like have all the players lined up in my head and, and like write this record and fucking put it all together. Um, you know, at, at the time uh, I was thinking like, okay, I can you know uh, I don't have like I was I had to lay out a ton of money for the stuff with my mom. Like it was it was like really digging deep into my finances. Uh, you know for whatever that's worth but i you know i was thinking about like how am i gonna do a like take this to a studio like i don't even know um and i was like well fuck it you know I, i'll start i'll record myself and then i'll just figure it out like you know i'm i'm not like a super <laughs> i'm really not like a super can-do guy but uh for this thing i was like this is fun like i'm learning like i was watching tons of videos and you know just paying attention to what people were saying people, even people like calling and fucking um you know, uh, my friend Keith, like, you know, studio guys that just like, you know, I was just like, they would tell me things and I, it would stick in my mind. I just remember it, take it back home, try that. Okay, cool. Um, and so yeah, I put this whole record together. I recorded the whole thing. Fucking um, Jess wrote the story. Uh, I initially actually had hired a sci-fi writer, uh, this, this writer named Marina Lostetter to write a story. Um, and she wrote a really good story, but it wasn't it didn't end up being very musical. The singer singers were kind of like, they're like, this doesn't rhyme. And it's sort of like, um, it's sort of like, it's, it just sounds like a story and they couldn't quite, they're like, and so Jess was like, I could, I think I could rewrite this in a way that makes sense. And it'll, it'll be musical and it'll fit with what you're, he's like, I see what you're doing. Uh, I, you know, I sent him the links to the Oxaplac, the Gats records. It's like, this is what I'm going for. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of weird and it's fun, but it's like, you know, um, I just kept working on it, working on it. And like, it's, it's been basically done for over a year at this point. I just like, I have a couple of guests that just need to finish up a couple of things, including my wife, who's on at the very end of it. Um, like she needs to finish up her parts and then like, then I just need to shop it around for a label and fucking finally put it out. But it's like the thing that I'm like most nerve wracked huh. about putting out because it's just so, I mean, you know, if, if an outside person heard it, they'd be like, whatever, it sounds like death metal to me. Um, yeah. But, yeah. you know, as, as you know, death metal people are, are notoriously picky about their metal and their likes and dislikes. And, you know, I'm, I'm not like kowtowing to other people with it. It's definitely for me. And it's a record that I, I like and want to listen to. But uh, it, it does make me nervous. I'm going to put it out. People are just going to be like, this is fucking bullshit or something, you know? I, I actually have a little, not that it's anything as as um, intricate as, as what you've just described at all, but I'm just saying that there, I have a similar um, anxiety about putting out things I've worked on too, man. I think I think the longer you, you sit on it too, the worse it gets. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but well, that's that's a, there's a lot there to talk about. Um, and of course, I'm sorry to hear, um, you know, about everything you had to go through with your mom, but it's great that she had you there, uh, yeah, to, to help yeah, her yeah. out. You know, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, that, that a lot of people, I had to, you know, my, my grandmother had dementia, man. I, I know how that could, that can be, you know, it's tough and it's one of the worst ways that you can see, you know, a relative or a loved one, you know, it's, it's just like, again, I don't want to be a bummer about it, but you know, it's, it's a fact of life and it was. You know, it's just hard to see somebody that's super vibrant and vivacious, just kind of, you know, my mom was just like, you know, she wasn't even coherent at the end, you know? 
Yeah, and we yeah. we appreciate you sharing that as hard as it is because it's something that maybe our listeners could relate to, and um, even if not uh, specifically that situation, just the idea that this type of music, as much as we joke around and we have fun with each other because we enjoy each other's company and, and camaraderie in metal, it does come from the darker places in our life and the things we have to confront. Um, and and it's 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 interesting to hear that this project kind of starts in such a dark, um, stressful place for you, and it, and it's become such a passion project. Yeah, I mean, not just not just the the project itself, but also like I'm balls deep in trying to build a new studio right now. Like I'm I'm literally, I just we just got the drywall up this week. Like I, it's become like a thing that, you know, it's because of my mom basically that I want to. Be, I like I have so much anxiety in the studio that I was, I was like fuck it I'm gonna build my own studio to record in so like uh, you know I can record at my pace when I want but also I want to record other bands and you know I've, I've done some mixing for other bands and stuff too like that it's all it all kind of stems from the same thing it's like it's changed the course of my life you know yeah yeah, yeah. Well, and, and well there's there's a lot there man there's a couple of things I want to go back to uh, sure. One of which is hiring an outside writer to to write a story for the lyrical. <laughs> Tell me about that. How do you how do you find and contact a science fiction writer and say, hey, I want to hire you to write a story for my kind of unsigned passion project, extre- <laughs> extreme metal band. Right, it, it it is funny, man, because you know, in my head, it just all makes sense, right? Like, uh, I I feel like. You know, there's a lot of sci-fi metal, but but you know, somebody who does who's not into death metal would never make that connection, I guess. But uh, so I was just I take my Kindle with me everywhere, man. Like that, I I'm a voracious reader, um, although I'm way behind on my books this year. But um, but like I read a lot, a lot, a lot. And so um, Marina Lostetter had written these books that uh, I really, really enjoyed. They're called uh, Numenon. It's a series of three books, and I was. You know, I was we, me and Liz, my wife, we were on vacation. We were in New Hampshire. That's where uh, her brother and my and niece, my excuse me, my nephews live. Uh, my brother-in-law and his wife. We were out there visiting them, uh, having a not really nice vacation. <clears throat> um, I tend to be kind of a late riser, and it takes me a lot to get out of bed. So I was listening to like a pre-pro version of the record, and I was reading this book. And a couple times, like a line lined up with a part that just didn't have any vocals yet, and, and a line that I was reading like lined up with what I was listening to, and I was like, I wonder, like, I wonder if I was like, what would it hurt? Like, I thought I was gonna write to her and just be like, hey, look, I got this goofy project, um, I'm doing this thing, and then I would just never hear from her. Huh? Like, I I did not even expect a response, um, and I wrote to her, and then I kind of forgot about it because I didn't hear back from her immediately. Um, but then a couple of days later, you know, I got an email back. She's all like, this is really cool. She's like, I, you know, she, she didn't say whether she was, she definitely is into music because at her, the, some part of her books, she had put stuff into a lyrical pattern. I think it was like in the thank yous. She made her thank yous into like lyrics. And so, um, which also kind of helped. So I was like, okay, so she understands like, you know, a lyrical pattern. Um, but I mean, you know, probably more to a, a degree of more popular music and you know death battle with weird time signatures is probably not anybody's fucking you know wheelhouse other than people who play and listen to death metal and weird type signatures or whatever yeah uh, so she gave it a good shot I, and i thought the story was really good uh, but yeah I, I never expected to hear back from her honestly 
uh, she was totally cool about it. She did some rewrites, you know, like uh, I, 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 I hired her, you know, I paid her, paid her money for it. And, um, you know, she was super cool about it. It was really good, but it was, it was the, I, I don't want to blame the other two singers, but, but they were like, this is not lyrical enough for us and for their, you know, cause I don't think about, I don't think about the, the patterns of lyrics the same way a singing vocalist would. And I'm sure you probably don't either. Like, you know, I, I, I'm just guessing for you and, and for, for me, definitely like, you know, I can make any set of lyrics work in any given amount of space, right? Like I can, you know, hop, skip and jump it and fucking, you know, uh, cut some, you know, consonants here and there or like, a, you know, just to get it all to fit. I can Jeff Walker it out and just cut the front and back off of both lines or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, you know, there's some leeway when you're death, when it's more rhythmic, when you're a death metal vocalist and you're just thinking about the rhythm and not so much like necessarily, you know, what you're saying or how you say it. It's just that it's in a rhythm that makes sense in in death metal phrasing or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, she, I mean, she, she, it was a good story, but yeah, they, but they, you know, I, so they were just like, I, like, Jess was like, I, I think I can, I think I can do this. Like, he writes all the lyrics for his paintings. And so he rewrote the story. It was, it was, it's based on this, the same story that Marina wrote. Um, but he wrote, he kind of expanded on it a bit. And, you know, he came up with this whole story about the Anilids or they're a, a race on another planet. And they, and, you know, the, the earthlings go to this other planet. They find it. They find this other race. It's like first contact type of thing. They bring them back to to Earth and like you know put them to work and stuff and kind of integrate them into society. But it was also kind of a like there's like some small political undertones there too about you know um, immigrants and immigration and stuff like that. Like I'm fully for that and you know it's, it's it was and I'm not for how immigrants are sometimes treated in this country. And so, um, you know, there's 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 some of that tied up in there too. It's not real beat you over the head about it, but it's you know it's in there. And um, you know, it's a story about coming to Earth, and then uh, you know the the commander, the, the the male singer guy, Jess. He's you know he, he kind of plays the villain. It's it's kind of more like a like a play sort of like you know I play the the the, the aliens that have come over to, to Earth, and then. That I'm doing the death metal vocals, and then uh, you know Jess is playing this commander guy who is the uh, who's like you know he's like the leader of Earth, and uh, Uta who did the the other the vocal the uh, operatic singing vocals, she is plays a scientist who's who's kind of like torn between helping the Anilids and then like pursuing science, and then my wife plays like uh, you know like a kind of a an elder version of the annihilates who come to kind of save the day and everything i want to wow i mean yeah it's it's a i know it sounds like super goofballs but you know i pitched it to to people like a movie kind of and uh because i thought that was the only way that it made sense you know and and that's sort of how it's i mean i hope that it comes that's how it comes across in the music too is that it's sort of a cinematic sort of thing and and actually i have um this is actually the first time i've really talked about this in public at all but i have a guy doing a comic book based on the lyrics that's going to be in the cd booklet it's going to be a 28 page booklet so whatever label this ends up on they're going to fucking hate my guts because i want to put out a 28 page booklet uh with a comic book uh, like based on this whole story it's being drawn by this guy uh brian Trilla, uh who's done a lot of like if you look him up he's done a 
ton of amazing comic books. He did the the Secret History of DB Cooper, which is like a this fucking huh. crazy retelling of the DB Cooper story. Wow. Okay, so a, a lot there to look out for with this uh, Lightbreaker project. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, man. So we're gonna look out for that. Um, we're we're gonna wish you the best of luck tying it up, and yeah, getting thanks. getting label support on um uh, you know on on deck, and. With that being said, you talked about building your studio, and I've, I, I, you know, I've heard you say that you're looking to get in, more into like making jingles, making background music, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I that was something that I was pursuing for a while. Uh, that industry is very hard to get into. Uh, I've done, I, I did a jingle with, uh, I, I, I basically um, mixed a jingle for Ellis, uh, a couple of them, uh, the the wheel must guy. Uh, for my friend Mike Fisher, I did one too. Um, as like I've taken on some clients, not a ton yet, but you know I'm, I'm still getting my name out there for the shit and still working on getting my sound together and everything. Um, but you know I've, I've done some stuff like Spirit of Drift. There's a band in um, in LA called Ceremonial Decay. I did their EP. Um, I put out a compilation not too long ago uh, of of covers basically it was like a benefit record for people that that were out of work because of covid um yeah i did this Lightbreaker record and yeah it's like I, it's something that i've i mean i've always had such a really hard time in the studio myself like i'm just such a nervous nelly in the studio that like i i just get like i'm a little more at ease with it these days but like you know i just i psych myself out and i you know i i just just it'll start being like bad take after bad take after even worse take or whatever um until i just kind of you know i gotta cool out and just fucking relax and get out of my head a bit and so yeah i thought you know if i build my own studio um i can do my thing at my pace like when i want to uh with my gear make it sound the way i want i i, I feel like i've got good ears um they're certainly getting better as time goes on um but uh, well, they're also getting worse too. But, <laughs> but I mean, that's all of us, I guess. But um, well, as as technology moves forward, though, I mean, you could definitely like uh, we just recently had Chris Basile of Pyrexia on, and during the um, pandemic, he actually built his own recording studio and recorded the new Pyrexia album there. Um, yeah. And and one question I asked him was, what advice would you give anybody else who's looking to convert a space into a rehearsal or a recur recording studio? I'll ask you the same, maybe, just if there's any listeners that could get something out of it. Like, just basic advice, maybe something you didn't realize getting into it. I don't know. Sure. There is, so, I mean, when I first started doing it, like, you know, I, I like I watched a lot of videos and I listened to people. Like, I, I like, am pretty good about making mental notes on what on. Thing, especially if I'm really interested in something. Um, and, you know, I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have to, like, you know, do all this crazy soundproofing in here and all this shit. And, and to a degree, I have uh, in, in, the, in the new studio and in this studio that I'm in right now. Uh, I have done some of that stuff. But, um, you know, one thing that I, 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 <laughs> that I wish I had known a little earlier was not to sweat that so much. Um, is is you know like as long as your room doesn't have any echo in it, you're you're you're, you're probably ninety percent the way there. Like there's, there's definitely stuff you could do to improve the sound of your room, uh, but if you're not getting you know your speakers shoot out a cone of sound and then it hits that far wall behind you and it bounces back and you get the reflection. As long as you know you're not getting those reflections, you're not hearing a delayed signal, you're not hearing you know signals doubling up and, and stuff like that. Like 
I mean, I this room, the, I'm really going for it in the new studio, but in this studio, you know, I just bought like three sound diffusers, put them on the back wall, put some foam on the walls uh, behind the speakers. It's dead enough. For me, the big challenge was finding monitors that I liked. Um, I, I like bought the monitors I thought I was supposed to get, like, uh, you know, Yamaha's at first and, and, uh, I just every you know I'd, I'd mix something on it and then i'd go in my car and listen to it and be like man this fucking sounds like shit and huh. then i'd come i saw so i was like all right i sold those monitors i upgraded to these uh other these atom monitors and at first i really liked those but as my hearing has gotten better and like by you know being able to hear certain tones and and also recognize that i'm not hearing certain tones too uh, i started realizing that those were ducking frequencies that i like so like stuff like in the in the mid-range area that like I really like the sound of in guitars, like it wasn't popping out of the speakers, so I was overcompensating and like, you know, it would it would come out harsh in the car. So yeah. finally a friend of mine loaned me his old fucking monitors from like they're like ten years old. And it was just like immediately I listened to Dismember in it and it's like I fucking love the way it sounded. I think that um you know, listening to a cup like not not really listening to people's opinions so much. I mean, certainly that that helps or whatever. But just like listening to your favorite music and music that sounds like the way you want music that you produce to sound sounds good in is gonna sound good for you too. That may not universally be true, but like I immediately bonded with these monitors. Like you know, I, he one of them was broken, so I had to find. A pair on reverb that was used these are like 10 oh. year old monitors but like fucking you know but i i in, in the meantime actually i had bought a pair of, of monitors that cost like five thousand dollars they were so expensive they were like more expensive than most of the cars i've owned in my fucking life wow and i and i i listened to music in them and i just hated the way music sounded through them it was like it was like too much information and, and like I'm sure I would have gotten used to it, and it would have been beneficial maybe at some point. But I just hate, I just didn't like the way they sounded. Like they just didn't. I didn't like the way. And then you know I went back, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna get those same monitors that Keith lent me." And they, I love the way music sounds. I love the way my music sounds in them. Like I love the way shit I'm mixing sounds in it. I think it sounds great. So it's like you know that helped me a lot. It was just finding they're not the most expensive monitors on the market. They're and they're, and they're ten years old. Um, but you know they're they they fit me, so that's I think that's really important is is to not worry so much about you know going bonkers soundproofing your room because that's not a realistic listening environment for other people either. Like mm -hmm. other people are not going to listen to music in a room that's completely sound dead and anechoic or whatever. So you know um, there, there's that to some smaller degree, but yeah, just finding monitors that really agreed with me. Uh, I think, you know, I, I doubted myself so much about it. Like, I was like, oh, you know, these these $5,000 monitors are the ones. Like, these are the ones that everybody loves in this price range. I mean, you can spend $30,000 on monitors. They're fucking expensive as shit. Jeez. But five grand was like, you know, that for me was like, I had to pull money out of my fucking retirement account to buy those fucking things. Huh. And uh, so, you know, they didn't work for me, you know? Yeah, I'm still up at the Island Thrift buying used uh, boombox speakers for my, my home system. So I, I, that's that's unreal to me, man. But, um, well, okay, so just a little bit of insight into the studio. 
Uh, and we talked about Lightbreaker. I want to give you the opportunity to plug and promote um, anything else that we may have failed to bring up um, before we get into to, into the end. Is is there anything else uh, on the horizon or any other projects you want us to talk about right now? Uh, not really. I have uh, a possible opportunity that if it works out, um, I, it will. I, I can't. I, I shouldn't even bring it up. Uh, it's not. <laughs> there's nothing for sure. If it works out, it'll be the most fucking awesome thing for me ever. Um, but it's it's not for sure. But um, uh, I'm hoping that, you know, 2022, I was, you know, in 2020, I was supposed to tour with uh, Cadaver from Norway, and that never happened. And fucking, you know, I left Nails in 2019, and um, Terrorizer hasn't played since 2018. You know, I, I just want to... I don't, I don't have anything coming up, but goddamn, I cannot wait for something to come up. You know? mm. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I sympathize with you, man. I'm in a few bands, but none that can tour at the moment. And um, I'm just like, you know, itching to, to get out there and do some fests or do some weekend dates and stuff like that myself, man. It's been rough for everybody the last year and a half. Yeah. 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 So. I actually, actually, you know what? That's not, I, I do have California Death Fest Impaled playing, and Impaled is playing Maryland Death Fest also. So I'll be Beautiful. at both of those beautiful man so there's that and um you know before we let you off the hook we always ask uh you to recommend one older album and one newer album by any artist you like doesn't have to be metal could be metal just uh just for us and the listeners uh let's see uh an older album we've gone through you know demolik and oxyplegats um <laughs> that would have been a good that's one oxyplegats that's that that's an yeah. obscure one man i hope the listeners get something a, out of that that's a really obscure one you know, um, fuck. What have I? I'm gonna look at my playlist and it's like, what have I been listening to? Shit. Uh, I have this, like, I have these two, like, Spotify playlists that I, I just constantly keep adding songs. One of them's like 16 hours long. It's, <laughs> it's not metal at all. And then I have my metal one that's, it's actually only like six hours long. But um, let's see. Uh, an older record you know this this record that i really like it's a um this is the first one i saw that that i don't know that it gets that much love um it was a really it was a really interesting record because it preceded a lot of that like kind of symphonic black metal that came after it but uh this band kvist uh for kunsta ma vai evig vaiki vaika or something like that no it's Uh, new to me i don't know it k-v-i-s-t kvist um, they have a song in here. The song that's in my playlist is called "Stupid," <laughs> but, but it's it's black. It's, it's spelled different, but um, but it's it's black. It's symphonicy black metal. It's kind of like a little rough around the edges. Like that's I'm gonna go with that for my old record, uh, this Kvist record. Okay. Uh, it's their only record, if I as long as, as I recall. They became a like kind of like a fucking chill wave or trip hop band later on called exploding plastics uh that's also very good their first record is also huh. fucking awesome uh but yeah kvist is my old record a new record um fuck man let's go with uh caustic wounds fucking death posture okay fuck. yeah that's a good one those are the local local dudes that's a brutal uh, record that's a somebody brought i think tom brought that up from uh my co-host who's not here right now tom brought that up a few weeks ago that was a really good one man Oof, man, that is a that is a rough ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a brutal record. Um, awesome, and so uh, I still got you, Leon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm still okay here. Just, Sorry. no, no, no. It's all good. Just making sure. Okay, man. So 
Um, those are two good recommendations. Uh, we're going to be on the lookout for Lightbreaker. Um, and uh, just any other um, uh, plugs, promotions, uh, and final messages to fans of your music and listeners of our show. Man, I cannot wait to get back out there and see everybody. I can't wait to get back to New York, especially. that that New York has always kind of been like where I have a, my highest concentration of friends outside of the West Coast. So, you know, I see like you and Danny and Paulo uh, and, you know, like Farley and Zena and these people like uh, it's 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 I can't I, I I'm always so fucking stoked to get back to New York. I, I just can't wait to do it again, man. I'm just like I got nothing to plug. I wish I did have more going on with you right now, but uh, you got enough. Man, you got enough. There's enough yeah, there. I got I, mean, I got shit, but there's <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to sift through. <laughs> that that light breaker has enough going on to break down, man. I mean, geez, okay. But um, but yeah, man. And Dan Olivenzi, the one of the few people I know in my whole lifetime that can make me laugh until my stomach hurts, like I was doing sit-ups or something. Best guy, fucking! Yeah. I can't wait to see that dude again, in yeah. particular. You know. Yeah, man. Big uh, big shout to him and miasmatic necrosis. Fuck yeah! That 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 actually that's fuck that should have been my fucking new record recommendation. But it, it, if you listen, so I'm sure you've heard it. It gets brought up fairly frequently, man, um, and not not by me. Most usually by by guests and by listeners. So that that goes to show you, it's not just because uh, Such I. A yeah, like, I, I I wasn't sure what to to expect from it, but I just like fucking loved it from beginning to end. Like the first time I heard it, and that rarely happens for me in in newer, you know, extreme metal titles. Yeah, it's, it's, so there you have it. It's not just it's not just being talked about on my podcast because of uh, nepotism because I'm friends with them so (laughs) it's it's uh, you know it's good stuff but um but yeah leon man we want to be respectful of your time you've been very generous and giving us your time today one final thing because this is going to be out for halloween weekend um just 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 record i don't know if you're a a horror movie guy or not but just give us like a hot top three halloween movies oh shit you know um i'm not like a super big horror guy but we watched uh, mostly because my wife is a little chicken. She doesn't like to watch horror movies, but we've been starting to kind of, so we, we eased into it with, uh, with, uh, color out of time. What the fuck is it? Color out of space, color out of time, color out of space. I don't know that one. What is it? Uh, it's kind of a newer movie color out of space. Yeah. Um, it's got Nick Cage in it. It's fucking wacky. Nick okay. Cage shit. Well, it's actually not that wacky Nick Cage shit. Um, but it's from 2019 even it's not it's like it's not even that that new i guess okay. but uh okay. i really liked it um man like you know the thing is my all-time favorite fucking horror movie easily like the the 80s one um was you know that one was like we saw the restored version of it not too long ago and it was kind of hard to watch because like the you know the 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 film grain was so it was, it was restored so well that you could see how fake everything looked because it wasn't blurry enough. Like all the blood looked like you know like looked like it came out of a fucking jelly donut or something. That's an issue uh, with some of these restored movies from the eighties, I find. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was kind of a rough watch. But so, Color Out of Space, The Thing, um, and a third one, man. The lat like it's funny. I, I uh, mod one of these Discord channels, and we were talking about horror movies and i realized i was so fucking out of touch with um with that stuff but uh i don't know like you know one of the last horror movies that i had to fucking turn off was hostile um i watched hostile and there's like a scene 
Man, stuff with hands, ugh, I like people losing their fingers and shit. That is like my ultimate fucking no-no. And like, there's a scene yeah, in there where this yeah. guy gets his hand hacked or his fingers cut off under a toilet or something or in a bathroom or something. Oh man! And I like, I had to turn it off. I was like, oh god, fuck! I, I just need to go watch something else. I, I need to watch. Yeah, this. I, I have friends. Fuck. I have some friends who are into like extreme gore movies. It's not my bag, um, but sure. we'll we'll leave it there. <laughs> Um, but but Leon, man, and I'll I'll leave you here, Leon, because you've been generous enough with your time. I just had to get the little Halloween bonus question in there, man. Thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah, great and, talking. To you. I'm so glad to hear from you again, man. Yeah, you too, brother. We should have had you on the show earlier, but we got a long list of people, and we can only do so many episodes. Brilliant, dude. Awesome, man. So um, thank you very much for your time, Leon. Yeah, man. Take it easy. Leon Del Muerte was our guest tonight. Shout to that man. We appreciate him telling us his story and about all his different projects. Uh, good guy. Nice guy. Good guy, Leon. Uh, hefty Metallum, really. Yeah. That guy, you know, you say at the beginning, busy. My God. Yeah, I, I like Leon. We recently had Steve from Flesh Grind on. Steve's Metallum, nice and cons- The research is just like bread and butter, meat and potatoes. Right. A couple of demos. Three albums, some live stuff. We're out. One band. I got something, you know, Leon, all over the place, man. I love it. There was a lot of variety in the research today. There was grindcore. There was kind of atmospheric stuff. There was gourmet. There was I was all over the place. Lightbreaker. Interesting. I like it. But uh, the a lot, a lot more, a lot, a lot heavier on my hands with the writing down the research and all that stuff. Heavier on the. So I'm saying. So I'm saying. Heavier on the hands. Yeah. No. No innuendo. We're keep, we're classing it up this Halloween. We okay. had no, yeah, we we couldn't do that. But uh, either way, thank you very much, Leon. Yeah, Appreciate that, that. thank you, Leon. I'm I'm delirious right now. Tom, bring it home. I mentioned this is Halloween weekend, right? I think you may have prepared something. I I have an intuition. It's like I'm like the kid in The Shining right now. I right. think I think you had a little list. Do you like ice cream, Doc? My Whoa. favorite line. Um, Let's not go there again. We no, went there. You know, you brought in some movies you uh, with, with the other episode that we just I'm, had with Steve. So mm. I figured I'd just bring in a, a few that I watched uh, that are solid films. Good. Okay. Uh, I didn't. Of, I didn't recommend all solid films. No, was, you didn't. Yeah. You were more of a. This is what I've been up to. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of films, and um, just you're a film in, buff. I'm not there yet. Let's go to Greece. A movie called Dog Tooth. This movie is about a family that decides to isolate themselves from the world. You might think kind of like, what was that M. Night Shyamalan movie? The one that, that was terrible about the family, <laughs> the, uh, the people. It was Adrian Brody was in it, and they, they tried to detach from society. Uh, I didn't see it. Uh, well, either way, it's one of those movies where it's about a family, and the father uh, removes all contact from the outside uh, world into his little compound in Greece, and it's weird because it's not really a horror movie, but it keeps you on edge like any horror movie would all the way through. 
weird trials and tribulations, odd sexual things that like nothing. There's there's many mentions of sex. There's the visualization, but none of it is appealing. It's not. It's not the kind of stuff that's going to make you horny. It's not. Um, you don't li- know that. I would hope that it would. <laughs> it's not Linnea Quigley in Return of the Living Dead doing the sick little dance, all bootied out. Yeah, that I'll was wait. beautiful. Um, yeah. Dogtooth, on the other hand, is a uh, is a weird psychological movie. I highly recommend it. That's really all I got. That's one I saw last week. Another one I saw the other week was Possum. Okay, Possum. Where was this from? I think it was Scotland. Let me double check that real quick. That's really showing me up. So Possum is a really, really strange uh, psychological horror about this guy who's a like a puppeteer and uh, goes back to his childhood home where his stepdad lives, and he's got this puppet that's haunting him, and it's it's so simple. There's really like no cast to this movie but the puppet is eerie as you can get it's like this bald headed spider backpack looking thing that no matter what he tries to do it just keeps crawling back in and it doesn't really have like a lot of violence to it but it's one of these things I'll just your blood's boiling you're like where is this going what's happening is this guy freaking out is this reality they do a good job of um, going back and forth between what is the reality and what this guy's uh, head is doing to him so, Possum, check that one out. Okay. All right. And the other one I watched, Shockman was a lot of fun. 1990, American horror movie. I haven't seen it. It's fun. I think they made it for TV because I watched it in a 3-4 ratio. So, it had that letterbox look. Not letterbox, the black bars on the right. It was definitely a made-for-TV movie uh, shot on some terrible cameras. And it's about this this baboon in a research center who goes haywire and and uh, starts killing people. Wow. It's hilarious. I feel like I should be familiar with this. Yeah, this one is like the... Uh, it is a creamy B-movie, I, I gotta say. Uh, a little weird in some moments, but it, they got this animal handler. They're using a real uh, baboon, and they got this thing going fucking nuts. Huh. It's wild. Uh, yeah, that's a fun little watch. Shakma. Wow. S-H-A-K-M-A. Check it out. Speaking of made for TV, I, re- I recently rewatched the uh, the old school It two part TV movie from the eighties. That's on my list right now. I've never actually seen that. Worth a watch. Yeah. Worth a watch. Yeah, definitely worth a watch. I didn't know that was for TV. I, if I'm not mistaken, it was. Yeah, it was. It, it aired on TV in two parts. Right back in the day, I got a DVD. It's got two chapters. I guess you'd say. Yeah, yeah it's uh, nah, it's worth worth a. You know, it's a little dated, but it's worth a watch. So that's another one of those, um, like Stephen King, because Stephen King's just everywhere. He did that Salem, Salem's Lot thing. That, that, yeah, that into- I'm not as familiar with. I've been revisiting a lot of these movies. I, I did watch Children of the Corn. Great. Love that movie. Not, mm, I was disappointed. Yeah? I was disappointed. Did you hear a lot of things going into it? I don't know that I heard a lot of things. I think it's the overall cultural reach. It's had and been referenced in a lot of hip-hop albums and a lot of Children of the Corn. You know, you just hear that all over growing up. And it's, I, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It just didn't really live up to, the, you know, I guess the, the reputation. It's one of those movies that I guess maybe when you just see it when it first came out or you see it without. But it's not a movie to see later in life if you grew up in my generation, I guess. 
Fair enough. I mean, I saw that when I was much younger. and um, yeah, It's it, worth a watch. I'm not saying don't watch it, but. Uh, oh, Linda Hamilton in that. Yeah. Wow. She's cool. She, Whatever. She does it. She did it. Uh, Malachi, it. that kid was creepy. He was creepy. I'm not saying there's not bad parts. Just overall, I just, as a Stephen King horror movie from the 80s, you know, there's a lot to live up to. The Shining was, you know, a bigger deal, obviously. And then It, though, man, that, that, that was that was pretty creepy. Salem's Lot, I don't know, Cujo. Cujo was an amazing Cujo. movie. Yeah. Underrated. Cujo, an underrated Stephen King horror movie. Yeah. See, The Shining isn't really considered a Stephen King horror movie because uh, Kubrick had gotten the rights to the film and... King really didn't have much to do with it, and I think that the two really hated each other. There were a lot of things like it's it's all rewritten. Stephen King famously did not like the movie. No, he yeah, didn't. Don't I, don't don't do that to me, Tom. Well, I'm just I, saying. I might not go to a nice cushy university in New York City and have moved to Brooklyn to start a metal band. You did work at the Cinema Arts Center. I let's not go there either. Okay, all right. I, we all we all have a past. All right, look. Uh, all kidding aside, you did flex on me cinematically. I got a little insecure there. I'm sorry. Next, all well, right. I've been watching a lot of other things. I, Maybe I, next week I'll bring in some more. I could talk Kubrick too if you want. We could break it down. All right. I I know about faux. We could eat noodle at a noodle place and talk <laughs> about Kubrick if you want. I I I, I refuse to say at the end. The, the, I have a friend who says fa because I think they're supposed to say it fa, but I'm I'm on team foe. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> it's spelled foe. I'm doing foe. I'm about to get personal, so let's move it along. All right, yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> we're, we're, that's the episode, right? Uh, what so do that, we got? That's the end of your horror movies. Yeah, I just did those three. Oh, that, that's it. That's all you want? No, I'm just kidding. We got a little horror movie bonanza going on. Um, Anyway, we appreciate you tuning in and checking out our interview with Leon Del Muerte. We appreciate that man and his time. And we appreciate you also checking out our double header this weekend. Um, ho- massive Halloween influx of content coming to you from Heavy Old Podcast. Be on the watch out. Um, it's, uh, it, don't even bother calling anybody. It's coming from within your house. That's right. Uh, or you can actually call us at 631-837-3274 and let us know who's in your house. My segue is possessed right now. Like, what was that movie where the truck? Remember the big, the 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 big tractor trailer gets possessed and it's killing people. Yeah. Oh, you just did fuck. that to my segue. Fuck. What is that movie? It's. Uh, uh, oh no. Oh, it was actually it was a Stephen Stephen King directed that movie. That was Wasn't the only it? movie that he was directed. another Stephen King joint. I think you're right, man. Yeah, that was the only movie he directed, and I'm told uh, maximum. It's like extreme or something. I don't know. Hold for hold for research. My uh, three-year-old nephew really likes trucks. Maybe I'll show him that one. Maybe we'll just skip you know, the, the Disney Cars movie. Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, maximum Overdrive. See, that's the thing. There was a, And Christine, there's a lot of these Stephen King movies people forget about. The Stand was an excellent TV series, too, back then. This guy the was just fucking busy. Dude, he did it. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty psyched on a lot of his stuff. Is he my favorite writer? No, but he did a really great job with getting that shit out, making money. I'm intimidated. Speaking of people who are naturally smarter than me by way of education, I feel intimidated. <laughs> I feel intimidated to read a Stephen King book in its entirety. These things are like a thousand pages, bro. Yeah. How do you take a thousand-page book and make an hour-and-a-half movie out of it? I'm sure there's a lot of plot points missed. and I don't know. I've never read one of his books, and I don't really plan on it. Maybe it's the same way we take a lifetime 
of metal and boil it down into approximately an hour to an hour and a half of uh, wonderfully uh, thoroughly researched content here on the Heavy Hole Podcast. If you want more of that, you can also go to heavyholepodcast.com. There's links there for our Patreon with bonus content, extra episodes. Uh, there's T-Search. There's patches you can order. There's links to all the social media, as we always say. And maybe you want to give me a call sometime. Maybe you don't like what I talk about. Maybe you don't like Halloween. Maybe Halloween is for kids. Wah, wah, wah. I don't like you, Big Will. Uh, go go home. Don't tr- don't knock on my door trick-or-treating. Why aren't you wearing clothes? That's That doesn't count as a costume. What's the number, Tom? 631-837-3274. Call it, and all the stuff Will just said, uh, anything similar, let us know. Yeah, and if I allegedly wasn't wearing clothes, it would count as a Halloween costume, all right? You don't know what they did to me <laughs> with the surgery. Whoa, that was gore grinding. <laughs> That was Gore Grind. Come on, it's a Gore Grind show. We can get a little sick. Yeah. Heavy hole podcast, baby. Alright, that's that's it. That's yeah. the final one. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, yes,